WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 375. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters outside Atlanta. Today's show is recorded on the 15th of May, 2019. In today's episode, a deadly mid-air collision between two sightseeing planes in Alaska. A mother thanks the crew and passengers on an American Airlines jet for saving her daughter's life. And a Qantas flight that's environmentally friendly. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, bed knobs and broomsticks. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 375 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger, a real-life radio announcer in the world's largest media market. Thank you very much for doing that for us. Oops, a little premature there with the uh, the old audio. Sorry, Steph. It's embarrassing. It is. I get it. <laughs> so, you're listening to the Ave... <laughs> You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guys show. It's an aviation podcast, and it's where we, every week, get together to talk about aviation news and give our commentary and also try our best to answer your great feedback. And helping me to do that from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. So many things. So many things. So glad to be here with you on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, Jeff, and looking forward to a really great show this afternoon. I apologize in advance for my sniffles. Oh, it happens. And also joining us from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Good evening, Jeff, and uh, hi, everybody. Uh, what a uh, lovely series of things we've got to talk about tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. I am as well. Also joining us from his studio near the Concord Covered Bridge in Smyrna, Georgia. He's a barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. It's Captain Dana. Well, perfect timing. Have some background noise to enhance the show this evening, and uh, I'm trying not to get too banged up this evening. So, <laughs> okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep it at that and keep it keep that hard hat on, man. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. keep my hard hat on. Okay, all right. So, uh, well, you know, while we have you with your mic open, uh, with the uh, all the noise in the background, please tell our wonderful listeners what is, what the heck is going on. What what are we hearing? Well, uh, <laughs> people falling down your stairs. <laughs> on cue, uh, right now I am having a new roof applied to my house, and they picked, of all days today, mm-hmm. they were supposed to come tomorrow, which I thought would have been absolutely perfect. <laughs> 
but they decided we moved it. They were running ahead of schedule, so they moved it up a day, and, well, here we are. So we're going to have a little ambiance in the back every once in a while when I'm talking, but I'm going to try to minimize that as much as I possibly can. Ah, lovely, lovely. So how have you been, uh, Dana, since the last show? I'm uh, doing great. I had uh, I received some in very interesting mail. Uh, I got a, a flyer from a uh, company that is hiring corporate pilots that says on the front of it, SOAR, pilot careers at, uh, well, I guess I can use the company name, yes. Jetlinks. So they have this recruitment package that they sent me with their entire history, what their strengths are, where, they, where their bases are, and who, who they generally t- tend to fly, which is all corporate, um, very similar to something like FlexJet. Uh, they are recruiting, and they even gave me all the information as far as their pay goes, type of aircraft they fly, how their schedules work, and all your your the background information you'd ever want to know about all the bonuses, meals, and and all the expenses they pay. So I guess they're very interested in finding pilots. I think that's really kind of the time of the, uh, sign of the times that we are in a new era that we are getting mailers in the mail to anybody that happens to have a certificate to come fly for certain companies. That's not the first time that's happened. I'm, I'm uh, sorry, far- but I actually I had had them send that to you. Thought you might be interested in career change. Uh, uh, is that a hint? I actually should have had it sent to you so you can get out of my way in seniority. <laughs> Speaking of seniority, you're, you're not going to be retiring on the airplane, I understand now. What? what you, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, probably it's not. Gonna be going away too quick. Well, it depends. You know, we'll see. But well, uh, you're you're of the age that you do need depends. That's correct. Mm, no. But uh, <laughs> so, anyways, for those uh, of you who are not in the U.S., depends is a brand of adult diaper. So now you get the joke. Um, but uh, yeah, so continue, Dana. Yes, I was going to continue. I just came back from a four-day trip, um, and I had a very uh, pleasant surprise. I did pick up this ship very last minute. Um, the trip included overnights in um, uh, Omaha and Daytona and uh, another place in uh, Greensboro. Uh, so I... My FO was quite surprised. I saw my uh, friend in Omaha, he's the gentleman that owns the uh, condo down in, in Florida, and I had a very nice lunch with him. And also, uh, he's my uh, scuba diving friend that I have been, you know, worked with at the old shop that I used to work at. So I had a little kind of mini meetup. Jeff, you met him, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, when we had that Omaha meetup. So right. I didn't, and, and pardon me, all my friends out there, that I did not put any of this out there because, well, I quite literally picked it up Thursday evening for a Saturday night departure, and uh, I never really posted my schedule this month anyways because I was hoping to change this trip that I originally had. Uh, then in Daytona Beach, uh, all my trips were completely polar opposite of what Jeff would want to do, and that is I was getting in at midnight or thereabouts. Um, so I got into Daytona very late, very short overnight, 12 hours, but I went and surprised my friends that I usually stay with down there. They just opened up a restaurant. Uh, at you know, Bike Week, you know, I usually stay down there at Bike Week, and uh, they just opened up a restaurant on Main Street, so I took my FO there and surprised them. And then the last surprise, I uh, was flying into the uh, Triad area and was talking to Approach Control, checked in, and we both recognized each other's voices pretty quickly that time of night and uh, had the opportunity to have a surprise meetup with RH. Oh, nice. From opposing bases uh, the following morning for a nice breakfast. Oh, so he made time to actually meet up with you. He never has time when I'm there. 
Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm more important. No one can. Uh, no, he, it, it, it just happened to work out because his son, he was supposed to take care of his son. His son was uh, came down with a, a cold, so he was uh, indisposed. So he didn't uh, didn't have a son at that moment. So he was able to come out. Uh, uh, AG was uh, unable to join us um, because he was going to, uh, I think, West Virginia for, for the day to pick up. A, a vehicle so but uh, it was great to see him my fo joining me on every single uh, time i invited him out and inv- i invited him out 29 years old and a stellar pilot a really really humble guy that was uh, a very much a joy to fly with uh, sharp knew how to fly the airplane and we didn't have any real uh big events i mean the weather was fantastic um and just landing late at night that was the only big challenge of course uh Daytona was a big challenge uh, because the long runway was supposed to be closed. But fortunately, that night it happened to be open. So we didn't have to land on runway 16, which is only, I think it's 6,003 feet long. Or maybe Something it's 8 like feet. That. Yeah, it's very close to that. So it was, would have been a captain's land, uh, landing only um, with a lot of parameters that had to be met, wind and, and weather and et cetera, et cetera. So in aircraft equipment. Other than that, uneventful. All right. Excellent. So let's see. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out which one would be best to choose next because pick me, pick me. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. You. Yeah. That's okay. I can. Who's, whose voice is that? I'm trying to decipher it. It's Dr. Steph. Oh, Dr. Steph. Yes. I know. It's a little, it's like a little scratchy and lower today. I can see how you easily confuse me with uh, yeah. Captain Nick here. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so let's see, I was trying to think just before we start recording when the last time we recorded the show was, and it was the it was a week and a day ago on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So the following day, uh, which was the 8th, I believe, of May, I had a meetup in the Charlotte area. Yeah. Uh, I think some of you know that guy, J.J. Pittsburgh. Um, he was actually in the Charlotte area as well, which was actually planned on his part quite a while back as he was attending a wedding, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so kind of threw it out there for anyone who wanted to join up with us um, and ended up being met by Armando uh, from Plain Talking UK and his lovely wife, Megan. We all went out to uh, Heist Brewery in the Noda area of Charlotte, had a wonderful time, didn't manage to record any audio. So sorry about that, Um, but had, you know, a nice time. Let's do a reenactment then. Okay. I'm Mm going to create the uh, background ambiance. So you could have food, food, and then we played. Uh, we we hey, stuck around Marvin. for a while and and joined in. Uh, <laughs> Nick's doing a better job of reenacting than I am right now. Um, we ended Set up playing. Up again. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm sorry, it was a playing, bad idea. <laughs> playing trivia for a while, which was we were really good. So I, I think. Um, when JJ Pittsburgh uh, talked to you guys before, he mentioned he's very into music. So we were very mm-hmm. good at the music trivia round. We were not so good at any of the other trivia rounds because none of them contained airplanes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> not sure what that but is. I, 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 I don't know that round. either. Yeah. But anyway, we had a, a very lovely evening. And my thanks to JJ and uh, Armando and Megan for a lovely evening. Um, so that was Wednesday. Um, Thursday, I actually, for the weekend, I had a chance to go and visit a dear old friend of mine who I've known for probably close to a decade at this point, someone I met out in eastern North Carolina. Um, 
she's actually also a pilot and a skydiver. I haven't seen her in a very long time. So um, had a chance to go out and uh, meet up with her and spend a little bit of time catching up on things. Uh, she no longer lives in the eastern North Carolina area either, so it was a little bit of a trip for for myself. And then on the way back home, I decided to pop in on some other friends as well. So. Why? My, you are so social. I try. I try. And that's it. She that's has been doing the rounds. That's the I only thing to... pretty much you've been doing. Huh? Well, you, you didn't ask where she lives now. Oh, wh- oh, where does she live now, Steph? So she's now because you said Eastern just, Carolina. Yeah, she doesn't live there anymore. Oh, so I had to travel to her. Yeah, um, she actually lives just outside of Zurich, Switzerland. Oh, Ooh. way so, way across the pond. Across the pond. So mm-hmm. Thursday night, I actually got on a plane. Um, <laughs> actually, not the original one I was supposed to be on because my flight got canceled. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I suspect it was a mechanical issue because it was relatively close to time of departure. Um, but fortunately there was a later, later flight. So I actually went to, um, from Charlotte to Heathrow and then I went, um, got off the plane and took the train across town, the tube over to London city and caught a flight there over to Zurich. So that was very, uh, that was kind of fun. Had a couple of hours just to, um, actually stopped at Borough Market, wandered around for a while, got some lunch, um, and then continued on to London city. and. Uh, yeah, had a very, very nice evening uh, catching up with her. And then the following day, she kind of showed me all around uh, Zurich. Wish the weather had been a little bit nicer. It was kind of rainy, thunderstorms on and off, but all in all, a really lovely day. Had some nice Swiss chocolates and uh, good mm. meals. And, yeah. and you bought a cuckoo clock. Mm, no, but I did buy a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope Which you they put that. confiscated from you at uh, security. Nope, because it is small enough to... Uh, <laughs> travel safely in my luggage and so then you Seriously. got go ahead sorry sorry i was gonna say serious question um what was it like going in out of uh, london city because that's quite an unusual airport. yeah um well it intrigued me because i booked the uh, flight on points and that was one of the options so i'm like well i've done heathrow a gazillion times it'd be fun to make a little bit of a trip out of it and uh, go see london city airport and it was um it was nice it's very quiet it's small and no problems getting through security I did get there and because my original ticket had changed because now I was taking a slightly later flight because I would have missed the original connection. Um, For some reason, American Airlines did not release my ticket to British Airways, who they do the code share with. So I had to call American Airlines from the airport in London City because they couldn't figure out how to um, match my e-ticket number to what they could see or something like that. I'm still not sure exactly what they were talking about, but they understood. The lady I talked to in reservations understood. took them like 10 minutes to to transfer it all over and um, got that sorted out, had plenty of time still and uh, had a nice, nice time kind of sitting uh, upstairs at the, uh, in the departure area, drinking a beer, watching aircraft land and depart right on the river. It's Very quite nice. a steep approach. It's an unusually steep approach. Aircraft have to be capable of doing what a five and a bit degree. Uh, yeah. Gliding. It's, I think Pip has talked about it quite a few times on, on his show. Um, I forget exactly I don't know if it, I, I think so. Oh, well, yeah. occasionally. <laughs> Plane safety podcast, something or other. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, I didn't actually land back there. I actually um, returned to Heathrow on the return trip. So. Oh, okay. So then you went from there and then back to uh, yes, the back States. To 
And uh, that well, was your trip? I, I mean, I, I kind of spent a little bit of time in the UK on Sunday. Oh. Also. Huh. So what was going on there? Well, I heard uh, some friends of mine were having a little meetup, so I decided to crash it. Oh, yeah. I was been... uninvited and unannounced. So. Wow. Yeah. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was a surprise. The funny thing is, on Friday, I think it was Friday, I get this uh, out of the blue from dispatcher Tom. He goes, Hey Jeff, um, is Steph in the, in London? I think he said. And I said, uh, I don't think so, but I said, you know, with Dr. Steph, you never know. And he goes, Oh, he said, the, the reason why I ask is that Jeff, the American airlines pilot that, uh, we met, uh, that was with Tom, uh, mm-hmm. for the, uh, uh, hops in the hangar. Thank you. Uh, event at the, uh, Delta museum. Uh, said that he thought that you were on his flight from Charlotte to Heathrow. And I said, huh, well, I don't think so. <laughs> that was that was pretty much the end of the cut. Co- and then when I saw the pictures uh, with Steph showing up at Duxford and surprising everybody, and I, I texted him back and I said, uh, well, you guess what? That, that actually, I think it was, because I asked Steph, I said, were you on the flight on that night from Charlotte to Heathrow? And she said, yep. I went, okay. Yep. He wasn't losing his mind. No, no, he was not. I'm not sure when he saw me or if he was, because uh, all I remember is getting on the plane, being dead tired, and then I passed out. Would yeah. have been a good opportunity, Jeff, if you're listening, to have taken some very unflattering pictures of me <laughs> sleeping <laughs> on an airplane. So, Anyway, so that was interesting. And I, as I said, I texted him back later the next day, I think, and said, yeah, uh, he's not losing his mind. It was stuff. No, no. Okay. Anyway. I might be losing my mind though. We're not entirely sure about that. But you know, that was like early on, that was like a a full day before I think I was having the conversation with Tom, um, that you showed up to the, uh, actually Mm -hmm. two days. I think it was on the 10th that I was Mm -hmm. having this conversation. Yeah, because that flight was Thursday night to Friday. So So, that was in a little bit. Interesting. But anyway, so yeah, so I got, I landed at um, Heathrow. We'll just segue into all this Mm -hmm. Sunday morning um, around 8 a.m. And I actually picked up Fabian because I had agreed to give him a ride to Duxford. And we went over to the rental car facility, got the rental car. Uh, let's see if I can remember what roads we took. He took the M25 to the M11. Does that sound right, Nick? Perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How. I don't know. I you, do you live there? The M part sounds <laughs> I familiar. Flew. To me. I, yeah, I, I fair, fly fair over all we'll this stuff. Your... I don't drive around there. It's a little horrible right, place. Right. You don't want to drive it really, I, So on a Sunday morning, though, it's not a bad drive at all. It was fine. Nope. Took us just over an hour, like an hour and 15, and um, got there, parked, and, and most people were already there, kind of just gathered in the parking lot waiting on, I believe, just with Carlos to show up for some reason, um, so that they could all go in with their group uh, discount. And um, so we said hello to all of them. Um, Matt seemed very surprised to see me there. And uh, <laughs> did he, I actually did he wet himself or something? No, he was just, he was just very, oh, okay. uh, he was just very, you know, his usual animated uh, animated uh, self yes oh. in a good way it, it was very sweet and then um yeah we did get to see both um well i can let uh nick go forward with his part here because i'm not sure how much of this you cover in the uh, meetup audio good point i don't know what do you want I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you, did you want me to play the meetup audio? Is that what you I just don't want to, I just don't want to say everything and have okay. it all rehashed. On well the, then, uh, the so let's do that. And then we can fill in the gaps after, after that. How about that's what we'll do right now. Can I just interject for mm-hmm. a second? Sure. 
Um, uh, James, uh, James Honor is in the chat room who flies in and out of uh, London City and would like me to make uh, you all aware it was a 5.5 degree glide slope just to bring us back to 50% accuracy. Oh, excellent. excellent. Perfect. Okay. So now, without further ado, let me play the Duxford Meetup audio. Hear that noise, Jeff? That's the sound of freedom. That is a Spitfire. And I'm here at Duxford at the museum, and it's the fabulous PTUK uh, Plane Safety Podcast and uh, APG Hangers On Meetup. And you'll never guess who is here. He would stick a microphone in my face right after <laughs> I took a huge bite out of my B-52 burger. But hi, it's uh, Dr. Steph. <laughs> Dr. Steph just, uh, she just blew me away, if you pardon the expression, uh, because... Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. <laughs> because she just completely unexpectedly appeared at Duxford. I've just had the most fabulous flight in with uh, young Pipperoonie, who is momentarily disappeared. Young Pipperoonie, thank you very much indeed for flying me in today. Oh, it was my pleasure. You did most of the flying, so it was uh, rather easy for me. Um, well, you're a great instructor. You did uh, gasp a little bit as I pulled the power off. Yeah, a typical uh, A340 landing there from Nick. He, he chopped the power and flared at about 100 feet, so he came crashing down onto the runway. But it's all right, I think we can use the, the airplane again. The, the tyres look a bit flat now. Yeah, and the undercarriage has come up through the wing, but that'll, that'll buff out. Yeah, well, we put the fire out. That's the best bit. Anyway, thank you very much, indeed. It was a lovely flight. That was my pleasure. Brilliant. Okay, I'm just going to do the quick rounds. Uh, here, of course, is Carlos, uh, who's one of the main instigators. Hello, hello, Captain Nick. How are you? Uh, I'm br Well, I wish I could say it was brilliant. I'm good enough, thank you very much, indeed. I'm so impressed with the turnout. I Honestly, I, I never expected we'd get uh, quite so many people turn out today. And, obviously... The world-famous Dr. Steph has uh, joined us as well, which is fantastic. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I'm still still gobsmacked. Thank you very much indeed. Great organisation. Matt, lovely to see you. And you, sir. Isn't it brilliant, all these folks? I don't, I can't believe it. I, just, like, I, I mean, it, you know, it was a lot, I had to do a lot of praying, um, but I'm delighted to say that the weather has turned out all right. So I didn't know you were religious. I'm, well, it depends on the, if I've got a reason to be, I can be. We'll have to call you Pastor Matt now. Well, there was two things apparently when I was growing up that I wanted to be. Uh, one was indeed uh, one is indeed a vacuum, the other was a bus driver. So uh, I've, I've, one of the two is not bad going. No, no, it's not. Do you do a lot of praying while you're driving your bus? Uh, I don't, but my passengers usually do. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, we can't make this too long because there's a lot of people to get around here. And I'm just going to... Guys... I'm Nick from the APG, just doing a, a quickie here. We can't speak to everybody at length, but if I'd love just to hear your names and uh, a quick hello to the APG. Hi Nick, it's Neil, good to see you again. Um, big shame you couldn't do your last flight, I think we were all looking for Ah, that's very kind of you, thanks. I'm sure you'll enjoy putting your feet up. I will, thanks. Hi, it's uh, Rob from Ealing, fabulous day here at Duxford and a big shout out to the APG crew. Thank you very much Rob. And it's um, Chris from Lincoln in the UK, and I've just taken a bite of my sandwich, so I'm going to carry on chewing that now and uh, enjoy the rest of this lovely Sunday afternoon. I'm trying to catch everyone with a mouthful. <laughs> Hi, it's Julie from Lincoln, um, having a fabulous day here. Hi, this is Steve. I'm an Englishman living in Norway, just over for the, for the weekend. All the way from Norway, just for the meetup? Okay, folks. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Where did you fly in to? Heathrow. 
Good, yeah, it's British Airways from Oslo, it's okay. Ooh, British Airways, uh, you'll be Nev's best friend. Quick hello, folks. Hi, I'm Dave, I'm uh, Neville's son. No, I was going to say, you, you don't really look alike, do you? One more handsome. You are, considerably. One of many children that I don't know about, but uh, here we are. And isn't the weather great? Absolutely superb today, isn't it? Yeah, we're typical English people, aren't we? All talking about the weather. Yeah, I would. And uh, no, great, uh, great turnout. Absolutely enormous turnout with some uh, unexpected special guests. I, I know, and I'm, I'm still feeling just a bit shocked about that. Adam. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm doing very well indeed. How's the lecture circuit? The lecture circuit's doing very well, thanks to your help. <laughs> amongst the Royal Aeronautical Society. Uh, and uh, looking forward to a good day here? Very much so, and compliments on the landing. Oh, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> uh, unnecessary. Hello everyone, it's uh, Dan Hannington here. Um, having a great day so far. The weather's lovely. Hi, Jonathan Warner. How did you get here? Uh, with Al. With Al? With with Al, Al you trusted Al? I did. Who did the flying? <laughs> we both did. I had a go as well. What, you were, you were struggling at the controls? I had to take over, he was struggling. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a big muscly man, so I expect you won. Fabian! How are you doing? I'm doing great, how are you? Good, good. Got a ride with Steph Tom this morning and I had a good flight here. It's great weather here. It's nice being here with all these nice folks. It is great, isn't it? I can't believe how far people have come just to go and see PTUK. Oh, sorry, I mean the APG meetup. <laughs> Brilliant. Hi there, Ruben. Hi Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, and thank you very much indeed for loaning me those books. You must do it again sometime because I still haven't read them. No problem. <laughs> Thanks very much. Hi Nick. How's things? Oh, not bad. Yeah, perfect weather. Just for our listeners, just say your name again. Richard. Richard, Richard. Adams. From the Isle of Wight. Isle of Wigget, as we all like to say. Are you flying? I didn't today, no, I drove. My oh, wife is around somewhere and she doesn't like... Not that keen on my flying yet. <laughs> got to see Concord. Well, they, oh, okay. Well, I don't blame her. All I can say. Hi, I'm Nick, and you are? I'm Phil, uh, Carl's um, father. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. Oh, well, I'm from the APG show, and we just wanted to say hello to everyone and have a quick, uh, you know, mensch of the show, perhaps. Yeah. It's, uh, well, couldn't pick a better day for it today. It's been absolutely well, fantastic weather. Another fine Englishman talking about the weather. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi, Captain Nick. Hi, Captain Nick. Well, uh, I'm just doing quick for the APG. Your names, please? Uh, my name is Lee Hall. And I'm Lisa Hall. Brilliant. They're married, by the way. I, uh, really? <laughs> they look like brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you were at the wedding, Matt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to be there, fair, you were. DJ. Yes. You DJed the wedding? The wedding, yeah. Hope you had a great day. Hi, I'm Nick, and you are? Matt from the A320 podcast. Ah, brilliant. Lovely to meet you. I shake your hand, but I've got my hands full. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. And looking forward to a good day? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, my daughters, this is Ruby. Hi. And this is Holly. <coughs> Hi, Holly. Hi, Holly. <laughs> 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 that, that juice box has bones in. And here's someone with a big frothy coffee. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Julian. I'm unfortunate enough to, uh, to work with Matt. Uh, driving coaches and occasionally tune in to their show. So. Oh, you're a, you're a listener? And you don't listen to his show, though, do you? Not PTUK? Occasionally, occasionally. That's when I'm not getting moaned at by my other half because she doesn't like it when I'm listening to it because she just calls it noise. So, uh. To be fair, it is. Anyway, lovely to see you. Hello, I'm John Pickard and I've come from Litchfield and I listen to APG and also uh, Plain Talk in UK. Yeah, well, we'll forget that segment. Okay. Lovely to see you. Hello, youngster. Now, you're Pip's son, aren't you? Your name is? Uh, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. Did you enjoy the flight? Uh, yeah, it was good. 
Was my flying as good as your flying? Oh, actually, no idea. No idea? It was a big thinks bubble there. Obviously, there's not a lot to tell between the two. Isaac flew uh, uh, Pip's son. Isaac uh, flew the aircraft all the way over from uh, where you... Where did you take off from? Uh, to Weston. Excellent. And he flew it all the way over to White Waltham. So I think he's probably got more experience than me, quite honestly. Hello, here's a couple of uh, lovely people. Hello. Uh, I'm Javid. Hi, Javid. And now, have you come here for the APG or the PT UK? No, I, I listen to all three podcasts. Excellent. Big fan. <laughs> Lovely to hear it. Hello, gorgeous. Hello. Hello, Captain Nick. Hello. And, <laughs> and how are you? And have you bought underpants for everyone? <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Goes on. Yeah, it's lovely to see you, Nick. And um, yeah, I've come from Nottingham, and uh, I kind of found out about this meetup kind of last minute, really. And uh, yeah, so it's fantastic to be with you all again. Yeah. It, it is great fun, isn't it? Excuse me for whipping around everybody. Quick hello for the APG. Hello. And you are Isabel. Isabel necessary on a bicycle? It is in Oxford. <laughs> it is, and you've probably heard that joke so many times. I do apologise. Hi, uh, Chris Griggs here at my first meetup, having um, flown in from Wellsbourne today. Lovely day for it and lovely to meet everyone. You flew in? I did, yes. Oh, in what machine? Uh, PA28. Brilliant. I bet your landing was better than mine. Well, I didn't see yours, so we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave the others to judge. Oh, well, that is so good of you. Hi there. Hello. You are? I'm Richard. Richard, lovely to see you. And uh, a quick word for the APG, perhaps? Uh, well, it's nice to meet all the people behind the voices. been listening for a few years. And I've drove down from Derby about a two-hour drive to be here today. It's a lovely day. That's a fair drive, isn't it? I hope you have a good day. Ah, oh, well, I'll miss this bloke out. Oh, I'm only joking. <laughs> Hi, Al. Good morning to you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging on in there. All this, all this bending down is a bit of a problem. <laughs> do you need your trust adjusting? Yeah, I do, but I'm hoping uh, Steph uh, will do that for me. Well, I've got the high heels in the back of the aeroplane because you left them at my house last time. Yeah, that's what been half the problem, I think, wearing high heels at my age. Eventually, these things do catch up with us, don't they? <laughs> Good flight in? Yeah, splendid, actually. We arrived on time. What was your excuse? Pip. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> Hello, Bill. Hello, Nick. Hello, APG crew. It's Philip Davis from Torquay. Great to be here with everybody. Um, lucky to have flown in today with Al in his Piper Arrow, which was an amazing trip. So uh, don't get to fly very often, so that was fantastic. So Brilliant. Otherwise, it would have been a four-and-a-half-hour drive. So, and, uh, and Al managed to find the land button? Yeah, yeah, I think he's good, isn't he? He's good. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave W. Here. Um, great to see so many people at another another meetup. We're creating a bit of a monster here with all these uh, communities now. But it's uh, it's great to see young and old all together and people meeting for the first time and getting on so well together. Really good day. Lovely weather too. What a great way to end this little segment. Okay, Jeff. Thank you very much indeed. Back to you in the studio. Thanks, Nick. What a great audio uh, so many people that's um amazing i'm jealous i know how crazy are. dr steph is that's that's absolutely nuts <laughs> i cannot believe you just got on the airplane for a weekend basically oh it's not the first time i've done that but yeah yeah it's a lot of fun highly recommend yeah it was a really good meetup as you can tell there were lots of uh, fine people it was uh, great was weather close uh, the, to 30 at some point 35 yeah something like yeah that. a lot of people so, uh, you know, there were uh, our podcast was uh, there and well represented. PT UK and Pilot Pit with uh, Plane Safety uh, podcast, they were the main organizers. But I think we did a good job of taking it over. What mm. do you reckon, Steph? Oh, I think so. 
I saw yeah. lots of yeah. AP Gene shirts. So. <laughs> yes, thank you for representing. <clears throat> Woohoo! Absolutely, but I've got a, a few thank yous because uh, uh, I met uh, Neil uh, Lanwan there, who um, is a friend of uh, Matt and uh, Carlos's, and he looks after the Super Guppy uh, up there. They mentioned it on their podcast and he was very kind and gave me a bottle of welsh whiskey Ooh, um, i've never drunk welsh whiskey before so that's uh, going to be great uh steph's uh dad mike gave uh steph a t-shirt to bring across for me because uh, he knows i'm a douglas adams fan uh and it's a brilliant t-shirt uh life the universe and everything and the number 42 on it i would be wearing it but i've worn it already so much i've had to put it in the washing <laughs> no worries at all <laughs> and uh and thank please thank him for me oh, absolutely again, Will do. Uh, steph and uh, jilly says thank you very much indeed also for the craft stuff you brought over that came via a tortuous route all the way from los angeles via you and then across to the uk very kind of you yes glad to glad to pass that along finally uh now adam gave me thank you very much adam gave me a lovely gift this is adam uh, spink he gave me a, a lovely gift which uh i'm looking at it now and uh, it's it's a uh, um a procedures notice for their traffic controllers at heathrow airport and uh, it's a titled Withdrawal of Anderson Procedure. And uh, it, it mentions things like um, uh, now that um, Captain Anderson will be retiring from Virgin Atlantic, they're going to update their manuals because there apparently were a number of special procedures they put in <laughs> force whenever I arrived at the airport, which included uh, insisting that the ATIS was put out every five minutes. It's now going to go back to its normal uh, routine of every 90 minutes. Um, clearance delivery uh, for departing flights uh, shall be uh, uh, shall add five minutes delay without explanation. Um, yeah, and this is hilarious. I've got a framed copy. You see that frame on me behind me mm -hmm. on the wall? Oh, yeah. Very that nice. is the framed one. I've got a one. <laughs> can't I can't wait to read that. I know. It's, it's very, very clever. There, there's also things about the reasons why I was always had to give way to British Airways. They always made sure that they had a British Airways flight to put ahead of me, and I made me give way. There's all of the reasons for all my delays. That was apparently a special procedure they had in for me that they won't need to use anymore. Anyway, it's a hilarious document. Did they sometimes uh, use like an empty airplane with just uh, like a single air crew just to pull in front of you? Follow that yeah. airplane <laughs> well, right there. Exactly <laughs> right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's a complete document and it's fabulous. All very formal and all That's correctly clever. produced by uh, Adam Spink at Co2Ops. So uh, it's mm. hilarious. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Adam, he also gave me, on top of that picture, you may not be able to see it, is a little yellow strip. Now, you know, uh, most air traffickers use a strip to um, uh, make for aircraft departures with the basic details written on. It's the old-fashioned way of uh, um, them moving aircraft around from controller to controller and having the details. Nowadays, they do it electronically. So these strips are, are moving into history. And he gave me the designator strip for runway 09 left at Heathrow, which is obviously, uh, you know, it's it's a, hi a very historic piece uh, and uh, will no longer be used um, because they've gone all over to electronic ones. And uh, underneath that runway strip, they would 
put the aircraft that had been cleared onto the runway. So that's that designated runway. That's ever so kind of him because I suspect there, with all the people that like to keep mementos, when that system moves out, they'll be pinched by everyone. And that, for Adam to give one to me, I was very pleased. Thank you very much. Um, of course, Carlos, Matt, Neville, and Pip, and Al did a lot of the organization. Pip was incredibly kind. He uh, flew down to uh, White Waltham, uh, which is about an hour's drive for me, uh, and then flew myself and Adam in and out of uh, Duxford. Brilliant. And as you heard, he let me do a bit of uh, flying, which was very uh, kind of him and I think very reckless. Um, so that that was <laughs> that was sort of Duxford. It was a brilliant day. Really enjoyed it, uh, particularly again to see a uh, Sunderland that my father flew in the war and uh, getting to talk to uh, the boys about the Phantom. There are two Phantoms there, uh, a British one and an American one. So that was uh, brilliant. And I've also had another busy, a few busy things, because I mentioned uh, last week that I would be uh, on Soaring the Sky podcast with Chuck Fulton. Uh, so uh, I've finished that now. And uh, if you want to hear me tell my history in aviation yet again, there are so many versions out there. You'll find another one on soaringthesky.com. And um, is there like any consistency thank, to any of the other stories, or do you just uh, kind of make it up? They're or... boringly similar. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've heard one, don't bother because they're all the same. But anyway, I wanted to thank Chuck and also uh, the Every Little Thing podcast, which turned out to be a hoot and a roll, um, chatting to Flora and uh, talking airplanes uh, with her. And uh, um, I think Sandy was the other pilot who was on a lady pilot from uh, America. So that was great fun. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been an interesting week. Length of leisure is really. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> when did I start drinking today? Was that an actual question? <laughs> what, what is going on here? All of a sudden, Siri is doing strange things. Uh, apparently, Siri thought I wanted to play some video from earlier. Okay. Wow. I mean, why didn't you? But that's a good cue for me to stop talking. All right. Let me make sure everything is still the way it's supposed to be. Looks like everything's still recording. That was odd. Well, while you're checking all that, I'll just say it was it was a wonderful day at Duxford on, on Sunday. I'm so glad I was able to make it. My apologies for uh, sneaking in a little bit, but uh, thanks to Pip yeah, and Al for putting that together. What? What is going what? on? I don't know. That's not me. I'm muted. I keep hearing no, my voice. Um, you have something playing in the background. Yeah, well, so Siri keeps getting that. activated on <laughs> my computer. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> What is going on? I never use Siri on my computer. Nothing to do with me. This is all oh, and Nick, would you please be quiet? <laughs> I'm doing my best. What is going on? I'm still leaving my mic this open. This is crazy. So some banging in the background yes. too while we're at it. Yeah. Siri is ruining my. Siri, stop it. Die. Ah. That's kind of mean. Okay, Your so. going to say you're mean. Siri Jeff. can't hear me, but it keeps. Getting activated. What is it that uh, I'm? Pre what is being pressed to cause that to happen? There's nothing touching a keyboard. Siri has taken on a life of her own. She'll be in charge of your computer. From uh, she's in charge of the show now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to leave this little. Every time I, so I have this little uh, dialog box that says Siri audio problem. Siri was unable to hear you. Please check that your microphone is connected and selected in sound preferences. So I'm just going to leave every time I 
delete that little box, that dialog box, it resets and then comes back again. So I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm just going to leave that dialog box there. Sounds sensible. Whatever, whatever you say, Jeff. <laughs> I just don't know why all of a sudden it's decided to do this. That's like, um, when was that a while back when people's, uh, Alexa or, um, mm-hmm. Amazon units would just start cackling for no good reason, <laughs> like laughing. <laughs> the blue. That'd be a little spooky. It's I a think. Little creepy. Yeah. Okay. Now so yeah. Which one of you, Oh, was it Nev? Nev, did you hack into my, the mainframe here at APG headquarters building? Huh. Probably. Probably. Knowing that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that problem is resolved. So, yeah, so I wish that, uh, I'm sure Dana does as well, that we could have been over there as well for that great Absolutely. meetup and very sad. I'm so sad that Nick, you couldn't come here to the States, uh, when you had planned this week, we were going to plan a huge retirement, uh, celebration and all that, but, uh, oh, well, we'll have to yeah. postpone that until uh, a couple months from now. July. Yeah, that's what Oshkosh is going to be for now. Okay. So that's, that's it, huh? Pretty much Nick's retirement celebration. Not, not Oshkosh. We'll just call it something else. We can call it Oshkosh mm-hmm. if you like. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use well, it as my retirement celebration. Okay. That's, that's going to be it. Roger. Very good. Um, anything else? Uh, that was a lot. Uh, I think that was enough. Let's move on to the show. Well, <laughs> the show but before already. we do that, I had a meetup too. It wasn't as great as uh, that. Uh, Duck no, oh, no, no. Come on, let's move on to the show. Well, hey, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what the, 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 fair, the, fair play to all the meetups. The here. fine people in Houston. You're cheating out the people in Houston if you don't. Uh, they want to hear themselves on the on the show, right? Okay, uh, we uh, uh, had a quick meetup at uh, El Real, uh, that uh, Tex-Mex place that. I uh, had a meetup, I think well, about a year or so ago, maybe longer. Uh, David Ogden kind of um, organized and picked me up from the uh, hotel downtown and took me over there. We had a grand time. Let me play this. Hello, everybody. We're in Houston, Texas at El Real, Tex-Mex or something like that. There's going to be somebody soon that's going to tell me exactly how to pronounce it. But uh, I'm here with a bunch of great people, and uh, we've just finished our wonderful Tex-Mex dinner, and I just wanted to get a little quick recording here so we can play it on the show and let you know what it's like to be on these uh, meetups, which are just a lot of fun. So let's start with the guy that kind of basically organized this, David Ogden, and uh, so here you go. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, appreciate you uh, being so kind in that introduction. Welcome to the great state of Texas. We are so glad to have you aboard. And uh, we always love when you come to Texas and be able to show you some Houston hospitality. And uh, next time you come in or, or any of the APG crew, we are happy to host you once again. Thanks. Hi, future pilot speaking. Thank you so much for having us on your show. And we're glad to have you in Texas. Jeff's daughter. <laughs> I don't my name because you never know. <laughs> okay. This is uh, Paula's dad. <laughs> my name is Jeff as well. Thank you, uh, Captain Jeff, for coming out to visit us here in Houston. Uh, we're glad to have you, and we've had a wonderful time here tonight. And uh, just want to say, hey, a shout out to all the uh, Airline Pilot Guy uh, listeners. Uh, thanks a lot. Look forward to uh, more events like this. Hey, Jeff, uh, just 
My name is Chris Page, and uh, first time to meet everybody. It's been a great evening to uh, kind of fellowship with other pilots, and it's just good stuff. Can't wait to hear some of the, the podcasts and uh, get into this community. So, good stuff. And what Chris didn't tell you is that uh, I drug him along, and he is a new guy, so hopefully he will be um, listening to the podcast from now on. Hopefully we got one more listener out of this. That's that's uh, part of the side gig. Uh, this is Scott, by the way, um, local motorcycle mechanic and uh, private pilot, and uh, was really happy to be able to be here. I missed the last uh, meetup that we had here in Houston because I was trying to run a motorcycle shop, but, um, you know, trying to make up for it this time. So it's great to have you, and uh, it's nice to be able to shake your hand and meet the guy with behind the mustache in person. Back to you. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, too bad you couldn't make it last time, but, you know, understand. You have to have priorities. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, he has got a nice mustache and beard as well. And uh, so great hearing all these great stories, meeting Chris, uh, potentially new community member, and uh, he's got all kinds of great stories that we've been listening to tonight. Jeff as well. Yeah, feedback, feedback, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Um, so everybody seems to have a, a just a wonderful background and story, and it's so nice meeting everybody in person. That's really what makes this whole thing very special to me and uh, the rest of the crew. So with that, and, you know, if you're listening to this and you're uh, heading out to Oshkosh, please look for the APG RV, and uh, that'll be uh, APG headquarters at uh, Oshkosh, and we're going to have a bunch of meetups there. So looking forward to that as well. So next time I'm in town... I look forward to something. Um, apparently, there was some kind of an error with my <laughs> recorder at that point. You'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll, the, you'll, you'll be back in Houston at some point, and you'll look forward to we'll finish that doing recording. it all over again at the yeah. El Real. Exactly what, what I was going to say. I think I actually said that word the for word. The little red button. You press the little yeah, red well, button. Yeah, I think I accidentally hit the red button that was a nice steady red light, and, it's, and I looked down, and it was flashing, and it said some kind of an error. And I went, huh. Oops. So I started playing it a little bit just to make sure that I got anything, and I did. I heard the beginning of that, so I thought all was well until today when I was setting up for the show. And I went, ah, I guess I did screw that up a little bit. Oh, well, it happens. And anyway, had a great time. Uh, It was nice meeting up with everybody at the uh, El Real Tex-Mex restaurant in, uh, what do they call that area? Montrose, I think. Uh, Really cool part of of town in Houston. And look forward to uh, doing it again. And I think several of those folks are going to be at Oshkosh, so we'll get to see them again as well. Um, And uh, before we move on to the Java Jive, just a couple of things that I have in the notes here that I wanted to mention. Uh, One was something that happened to me in Atlanta the other day. Coming in from, I think it was coming in from Houston, Uh, we, uh, we were flight 1693, and we had landed on runway 8 left, and... Uh, we were told to hold short of eight right, the inboard that, that we're using for takeoffs at uh, Taxiway Dixie and or Delta for everybody else. And uh, we got clearance to cross and then um, we can pick up from here the Atlanta ground frequency. Boutique 44 Dixie, short golf. Boutique 44 Atlanta, looks like you're on uh, Dixie there. Hold on. Boutique 44, runway 8 right, taxi via straight ahead on Dixie, and left turn on Echo. 
Okay. Eight right, straight ahead, Dixie. Left on Echo for eight right, Batiga forty four. Thanks. Okay, I'm, we're scratching our heads a little bit because we are like face to face with them, and he has just instructed that airplane, a Pilatus, to taxi basically through our airplane and then turn left on a taxiway we just passed. And I'm going, how's this going to work? And they were really starting to move fast. <laughs> they had their lights on, and they were moving. And then was uh, it dark? No, it was a oh, uh, broad it was, daylight. It was broad daylight. Yeah. So okay. then I think. So right now I'm kind of sensing that the ground controller for some reason is distracted, but so I think, but he, then I think he pretty quickly catches it. You can see the Pilatus nose strut really compress, like they were booking. And then I don't know where he thought he was going because we were there. Uh, and then he, you could tell that they were really coming to a stop pretty quickly. Delta 1693, Fox the ramp. Delta 1693. That was my first officer. Tug nine three north for Delta North. That's a tug. Turn left on to actually. Dragging an right on Echo. Towing it. Right, right at Charlie. Right, Echo short of eight, right at Charlie. Tug nine. Putting 44, change of plan now again. Make the left turn on Foxtrot behind that MD-88. Go uh, Foxtrot Hotel. Left behind on uh, Foxtrot Hotel behind MD-88. T-44. Ah, we got it all sorted out now. You want to say something? Did you have your cloaking device on again, Jeff? I might have, yeah. I forgot to switch. I, I think the, the controller just wanted to see a good game of chicken. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But win? it got my attention, that's for sure. I'm going, huh? How, how's this going to work? That's not going to work. Uh, okay, so maybe he didn't realize that we had actually gotten clearance to cross from tower, and maybe we just he wasn't expecting us to be in that spot. I don't know. But again, something was just like, something seems to be distracting him. Yeah. I mean, it happens. We're all... There's a... Hmm? Stand by. Oh, wait. Okay. Let me go back here. 44. Fox Row Hotel behind the 88 t 44. Ground up to 1221 north with Tango. Ground up to 1221 north with Tango. Hello, Ground, you there? Yeah, I'm watching this go around. You need to stand by. All right, back to work. Uh, Sky West, was it 3558? Okay. I just thought that was really funny because, <laughs> so when all this has taken place, I could, you know, as I mentioned, it seemed like he was distracted by something. And so apparently this Southwest 737 was in some kind of a situation where there was the spacing between the airplane ahead of him uh, was, was decreasing enough. And so I, I, apparently he was picking up on this from the tower controller or something else going on in the tower cab. And that's why he was a little distracted with giving people instructions, taxiing on the ground. And then I just thought it was really funny that, you know, the guy calls for, you know, the one North taxi. Usually you get an immediate response or you hear somebody else talking, whatever, but there's just like silence for like a long time. And that's why he made the same call again. Even after he said, stand by, he said, you know, 1220 one North taxi. 
and then again, even a longer period of silence. And uh, at, at this time, as we were taxiing toward the ramp, you could you had a very nice view of the finals, and you could see the Southwest 737 in the midst of a go-around. So that's what he was looking at, had his attention. And just like all of us out there, when we see something like that, we just want to stop everything and just watch it. Like, hang on. Yeah. Squirrel. Yeah. Okay, Squirrel. back to work. I just love you. Back to work. <laughs> so... I, I mean, but really, did that have anything to do with his job at that moment? No. No, nothing. Not really. Yeah. He just, no. he just, he put his priority somewhere else, apparently. <laughs> True Avgeek priorities. Yeah. Over. I just yeah. thought even these tower controllers are Avgeeks. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that was the point of that. Not to get him in any trouble. It was just, you know, I thought it was funny. Nothing dangerous happened there. And uh, so with all these meetups, if you want to join us at some point in the future, check out the airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar page where we have the APG community calendar. Also, become an APG slacker. Hillel will tell us how to do that uh, toward the end of the show. And you'll be advised of when we have meetups here and there and everywhere. And we'd love to see you at one of these in the future. And just quickly, we will be at Oshkosh, and we had a APG inner circle meeting, a APG crew meeting with our favorite uh, T-shirt uh, logo, uh, APG logo designer, Acme logo, uh, Jim Mercado, and uh, we've had a couple of meetings now, and we're making some good progress on our exclusive commemorative APG shirt for Oshkosh. And we're not going to give any details about where we are in the design process because we want it to be a nice surprise when we finally get the final product. But we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's looking good. Absolutely. Stunning. All right. And with that, I think now, unless you guys want to do anything else, we can go ahead and move on to, quickly, the uh, coffee fund. I'm good. All right, here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. We sing the Java Jive for the coffee fund, and we call those fine folks the coffee fund cadre. Uh, perhaps we should call it something different. Coffee Fund Club, perhaps. Or what do you call it, Nick? Coffee Bar Club or something like that? Anyway, they're the people that support the show uh, financially. And you can do it, too, if you want, by heading over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And we have a couple different ways to do it. Um, one is the ca- Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, we've had several contribute. Uh, recurring payment from Jeff and Anissa Moeller. Uh, we had a very nice, generous um, donation from Captain Richard Bell, Rick Bell, perhaps Major, I'm not sure, one of those. And uh, Tony Stubbings also sent in a very nice, generous contribution. Elizabeth Piper, you may have heard of her. We call her Liz, our producer. I don't know why she did this, but uh, thank you, Liz, for sending in a very, very, very generous donation toward our coffee fund escapades and uh, also a payment from or a uh, donation from 
Timothy Vaughn, another very nice uh, donation. I'm noticing a lot of these um, one-off donations coming in, perhaps to help us uh, to get ready for and to celebrate our great time to be had in Oshkosh. And uh, so if you want to be part of that support, again, airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. Also, we have, I should be playing some more music, right? Maybe I'll put that in on post. We also have another way to contribute via the coffee fund, and that is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And since the last show, we have a couple of new producers. Uh, we have Stephen Halland and Covey Menard or Covey Menard. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that. C-O-V-E-Y. Covey, I'd say. I don't know. Um, and then we also have a new executive producer, and that is this gentleman's name. Uh, Nick, you mentioned him earlier at the uh, meetup at Duxford. Neil Landmore. Uh, is yeah, a new very generous producer. chap too. I'm going to try yeah. some of his whiskey in a moment. Very good. Thanks, Neil. And Alice. also, uh, you mentioned um, the uh, A320 podcast. I believe Andy Wilson is one of the co-hosts of that. Uh, well, I know that for sure. And uh, he bumped up his contribution level by 10 times 10. And he is now in what? the very... I know. I, I wow. sent him an email said... Maybe you mistakenly did this <laughs> because he is in the, the top tier of the uh, coffee wow. fund. Uh, you must be expecting what yeah. a gen. Something Thank from you. Us. Andy, you know, talk to me in case you accidentally did that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, regardless, he's been supporting us financially as well. So check out their fine podcast, the A320 podcast, especially if you're an Airbus pilot, you could probably learn something. And uh, yeah, that is it. So again, uh, if you want to become part of the Coffee Fund Club, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. All right. Now we'll shift over to... No, not again. <laughs> I was moving it out of the way and it actually activated. Uh, since we're kind of running... Hey, just uh, yeah. Oddly enough, my Siri just tried to do stuff too, and I don't even have Siri turned on. I don't either. I don't... Well, Nev... Stop it, Nev. Yeah, Nev, what are you doing to our computers? Oh, I see. He sent me a video earlier. It probably has some kind of malware in it. Oh, yeah. shouldn't have opened We're that on way. to you. Well, she keeps talking to me, and I don't even have Siri on my computer. <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> Mine's being quiet. <laughs> lucky, lucky. Uh, That's because I have everything muted. My trackpad battery is very low. Oh, okay. Great. Just one more thing to add. Okay. Stand by for news. But I did want to add one more thing. <laughs> now that I'm looking at my notes. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check out this guy's YouTube channel. I think we've mentioned him on at least once or twice on earlier episodes. The guy's name is Juan Brown. He has a YouTube channel, channel, maybe a channel as well, but I don't know what that is, uh, called Blancalario. Blancalario, I think. Uh, let me see. Let me spell it for you. Uh, let's see. B-L-A-N-C-O-L-I-R-I-O. Blancalario. 
And uh, he is uh, an, a former Air Force guy like myself, a U.S. Air Force guy. And he uh, also was, a, I believe, a T-37 instructor pilot, and he also flew C-141. So very similar kind of uh, background that I had. Uh, and he's now a, presently an American Airlines pilot. Um, I believe he, he says that. And, and Well, he's a major uh, a pilot for a major legacy air carrier here in the United States. I believe he's a 777 uh, co-pilot. And he uh, puts out these um, videos um, on a variety of subjects, but lately um, mostly aviation related. And he's got some, he, he's had put out some really inf- informative things regarding the uh, 737 uh, MAX uh, accidents and uh, issues regarding the, uh, the MCAS. And uh, also in this latest one that he just put out, I believe yesterday, um, a, a little bit of information behind the scenes information about the investigation of the, uh, the prime air 767 crash. Some of the things that are being speculated out there. So I find it really interesting and, and, uh, you know, he, he does a good job of getting really good sources of, uh, for his information. So, um, if you haven't already checked it out, uh, please do. I've subscribed to his YouTube channel and uh, always look forward to hearing what he has to say about these things. So, have you guys ever checked him out or heard heard anything from him? No, I know you've mentioned him before, but I have not yeah. had a chance to check out his videos. Yeah, no, neither have I. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there because I I think it's a really good source for those of us out in the world that uh, are interested in this sort of thing. All right, now it's time for the news. Stand by for news. From the Associated Press, Anchorage, a team of federal investigators is expected to arrive in Alaska on Tuesday. Of course, we're recording this on Wednesday, so this was written, um, well, it says it was written yesterday. Anyway, uh, to try to piece together what happened in or what caused a deadly mid-air collision between two sightseeing planes. Four people were killed after the planes carrying tourists from cruise ship a cruise ship. Uh, collided Monday near the southeastern Alaska town of Ketchikan, uh, the Coast Guard said. Two others were missing, according to Petty Officer uh, John Paul Rios, a Coast Guard spokesman. An investigative team from the NTSB is expected to arrive in Ketchikan on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Let's see, the float planes collided under unknown circumstances. Uh, The passengers were from the cruise ship Royal Princess and were on sightseeing flights, one of which was operated by a company called Takwan. Uh, Takan? I don't know. Do, do we know how to pronounce that uh, stuff? Takwan? Takan? No idea. Air? Takwan, Takwan. Takwan? Maybe. Takwan. That mind. sounds right. Uh, 11 people were inside Takwan Air's single-engine de Havilland Otter DHC-3 when it went down as it returned from Misty Fjords. National Monument, which is part of the Tongass National Forest, the nation's largest. Ten people were taken to a hospital in Ketchikan. 
All patients were in fair or good condition, according to Marty West, a spokeswoman for Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center. Uh, three people who died were among five people aboard the second plane, a single-engine de Havilland DHC-2 Beaver, according to Coast Guard Lieutenant Brian Dykins. It isn't clear which plane carried the fourth victim, whose body was recovered during a Monday night search. Uh, so, uh, not a really a lot of information. The, the conditions at the time, I believe, were visual conditions, uh, like an overcast a high overcast that they were flying underneath and uh, clear below that. And uh, they apparently collided with each other. And that's all we know. So four people dead, two people missing, I believe, is the latest that I've heard regarding this. Hmm. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, doing this little flight with Pip uh, to Duxford and back reminded me, Jeff, is just how... Um, conditioned we get in airliners when you've got all this sophisticated equipment like ADSB. You say you've got visual representation of everyone around you, you've got air traffic control looking after you, you've got your eyes as well. But when you're GA, it's just your eyes, just you. And uh, it's, you know, you know, people sometimes uh, have been called within a couple of miles and it's really hard to see. And uh, I really do feel sorry when you've got situations like this. And these folk, they're probably the only two aircraft around there, I don't know. But uh, there are so many blind spots on an airplane. Sometimes you uh, think, oh, surprising, there aren't more of these. Yeah. Just looking at the the picture that's included with the article, you know, they're showing with the uh, injured passengers being transported to an ambulance. But they're on the water there. So I'm wondering if it happened somewhere near either taking off or landing because that can be kind of congested and, mm -hmm. um, you know, a little bit of a, 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 you know, when you're landing on water, you're basically trying to figure out just being into the wind and depending on how much space or area you have, you can be pretty focused on that at that moment. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it was controlled at all. I don't know the, the area around Ketchikan, but. I don't know. Well, Ketchikan, I've actually been there. It's, it's very, uh, very mountainous uh, to the, I think it's to the east. To the east, probably. Yeah, yeah. To the east, yeah, because the water, you know, it's on the west coast. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there are a lot of toys going in and around the fjords from Ketchikan. So uh, I can see where that can be, uh, be an issue. Hmm. Well, thoughts and prayers go out for the, uh, the dead and the family and friends of the dead. Um, Absolutely. Okay, uh, item B. Corporate jet suggested Buffett's energy deal was in works day before it was announced. Now, I threw this in there. Not really a big news item, but I thought it was interesting because uh, we have a lot of folks that listen to our show who are expert um, aircraft spotters and aircraft trackers. I mean, they know all the tricks of the trade to be able to follow flights, even flights that uh, don't want to be followed. And uh, so I thought that uh, this was kind of interesting uh, a corporate jet tracking service spotted a plane owned by Occidental Petroleum landing in Warren Buffett's hometown of Omaha. Uh, I'm sure that most people are familiar with Warren Buffett. He has a uh, he's a major investor and has I don't know what probably billions of dollars um, yeah. in uh, in investments uh, in stocks and companies from all over the world. Uh, including a small company, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, you may have heard of it. Um, 
And uh, so a a plane owned by Occidental Petroleum was landing in Omaha, which is where Warren Buffett Buffett lives. Um, And uh, they were guessing it meant that Buffett was getting into a major energy deal. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway announced on Tuesday it would take a $10 billion preferred share stake in Occidental Petroleum contingent on a deal for uh, an Anadarko Petroleum succeeding. And uh, Occidental is in a bidding war with Chevron for the Permian Basin driller, whatever that means. Anyway, um, so it talks about, it uh, goes on a little bit more about the deal. Uh, but investor, but investors didn't need to be surprised. By the way, this is from um, CNBC. That's where this is sourced. Um, but investors didn't need to be surprised. They could have made an educated guess the deal was coming since this past weekend when a corporate jet tracker spotted the Occidental plane landing at Omaha. And then they talked about um, a little bit about how people can't. So if, I guess a lot of people out there that aren't av geeks as we are uh, don't realize that uh, it's possible to track, uh, you know, in addition to the flights that we always love to track from our friends and loved ones on major airlines or not so major airlines, but uh, it's possible to, to track corporate flights and also to track military flights. Uh, and I, I just thought it was interesting that there's actually a company maybe more than one, that its sole existence and purpose is tracking corporate airplanes as uh, to try to kind of spot uh, deals that are in the in the making and uh, make investment decisions based upon data that is publicly available. And it, it has not always been publicly available. I think it was back, I'm um, not sure exactly what year that uh, the... FAA was forced to release this information. I don't know exactly how that all transpired. Um, but uh, do you all know uh, any of that detail? Well, there's a article here that I'm going to include in the show notes. Uh, uh, 2011, I think, was the decision to open up records on private flights. Okay. Now, a few years back, I was out there flying, and I, I'm always interested when I hear a call sign I've never heard before. And uh, it was around the time that... Um, what was what the company? Yahoo.com, you know, like dot com. Weren't they the ones that did that little, little, uh, uh, jingle or whatever. But anyway, I heard this call sign dot com and I'm thinking, Oh, it's probably that company, uh, that internet company that always does the dot com. And then, um, started bugging me a little bit more. I did a little bit more research and found out, no, .com is actually a, a dispatching uh, service, a private service that people can subscribe to, and based on whatever level of service they want, uh, they can they can register their corporate jet um, using .com's services, and their tracking data no longer has the uh, identification or registration number, but they use a .com call sign. Now I think that. Uh, there are workarounds for that now. So even people that are trying to use the .com call sign can still be uh, tracked. And I know that there are a couple of people right now listening to my words that can are probably yelling at the uh, whatever podcasting li- or podcast listening device it is that they're listening to us on uh, saying, yeah, 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 this is how you do it. But uh, 
just thought that was interesting that uh, they knew years ago that it was important for all of these things going on that they didn't want the public to see or were their um, their uh, competitors to see. Uh, they wanted some privacy, but um, the only way they could do it is to kind of uh, cloak themselves a little bit by using a .com call sign. But again, I think that now there are ways to get around that so you can still figure out who uh, who these people are. But uh, I thought that was kind of a clever a clever service. And I, I, the uh, dispatchingservice.com is still, uh, I think a, that's a flight planning dispatching kind of a service. Uh, they should just put their, uh, you know, their corporate uh, folks who make the deals on uh, commercial airliners and fly uh, with the public like the rest of us. They'd never know who was coming or going. That is true. Yeah. That oh, is they Occidental Petroleum might well have just been sending some execs down to play golf, uh, in which case, you know, if you're investing on that kind of a... Yes. <laughs> exactly. If you're so, investing on that kind of a clue, you might just have lost a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and then, I guess that's part of the game, right? Uh, if you're going to be oh, yeah. in, in stocks and investing that exactly. way. Exactly, yeah. It's all a gamble. So I guess, yeah, so I hadn't thought of that. Um, maybe they fly airplanes around... Purposely trying, trying to throw, to throw people, people off. off. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just going to, we're going to fly to Omaha and they're going to assume that we're meeting up with Warren Buffett. But well, you might be able to pay for your little airline by flying all your aircraft somewhere where, where you think will change the share price. You invest, fly your aircraft somewhere, uh, cash in, and then go, well, that's just paid for that and a bunch of other flights. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a good business model. I like yeah. it. Yeah. We should start doing this, we don't you reckon, guys? Yeah. Need a retirement job, Nick? There yeah. you go. No, no, I don't. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm a professional lawn bowler now. <laughs> Wait a minute. You have a robot that does that for you. <laughs> That's a lawn mower, not a lawn bowler. Oh, a lawn bowler. I'm sorry. I heard mower for some reason. Um, oh, at the end of this, uh, again, in the show notes, uh, there's the I have a little blurb about the company, uh, .com, and their services. And uh, looking here, it says DCM call signs available for jet and turboprop flight plan filers only. It says there are two different types. They, uh, there are two levels assigned, FAA blocked and trackable. If trackable, you'll be known, seen as flight plan on public flight tracking websites and not by your tail number or company name. Uh, and if you're a premium tracker, you can have a third call sign blocked at the FAA vendor level. So I guess there's still ways to get around being tracked out there. Interesting. I think some people know how to track all of these aircraft. Yeah, no we, I what. know a couple of people that yeah. uh, could bust through all those. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like anything IT computer related. There's yeah, there's ways around it. Anyway, right. I thought that was kind of a little It is interesting, though. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. And hopefully I didn't screw up too much of the information uh, regarding we'll all that. We'll get feedback. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. You know, again... We're, we're holding to that 50% standard, you know, got a lot of margin either way. Plus or minus 10. Plus or minus 50. If you don't want to get too high, we might get a reputation. I know. I don't want anybody to think we're a reliable news source. Or actual news. <coughs> Excuse me. Cough button. Where's my cough button? Uh, let's see. Oh, I should mention, I didn't mention in the intro that uh, I was supposed to be in Philadelphia right now and I'm at home. And I uh, called in sick for my three-day trip because I'm sick and uh, got some kind of uh, allergy thing going on uh, over the weekend. And it kind of turned into a bronchial 
uh, infection. And mm. uh, so I'm, my, my doctor told me not to go fly until about a week from when I saw him. So sensible. Yeah. Anywho, uh, next one here is Tasman Cargo, Boeing 757-200 at Auckland on February 5th, 2018. So this happened a while back. Um, they, uh, I guess this is the final report from the ATSB, the Australian Transportation Safety Board. Uh, the Boeing 757-200 freighter flying in DHL colors was flying from Auckland, New Zealand to Sydney. Um, and, uh, they had two crew members climbing out of Auckland's runway two, three left when the crew reported a hydraulic, a hydraulic problem, stopped the climb at 5,000 feet and returned to Auckland for a safe landing on runway two, three left about 40 minutes after departure. The runway needed to be closed for about 50 minutes due to hydraulic fluids spilled from the aircraft that needed to be cleaned up on July 23rd, 2018. It became known the, uh, Australian uh, TSB had opened an investigation into the occurrence, rated an incident. The ATSB reported while climbing out of Auckland, the flight crew received a left hydraulic system warning. While working the related checklist, the right-hand hydraulic system also failed. The aircraft returned to Auckland for a safe landing. So I believe I have not flown this. uh, Well, I know that I haven't flown the 757, but I believe that on that airplane, um, there are two primary hydraulic systems right uh, maybe somebody out there can help uh, but uh, i think at least the the ones that they left the left and the right are the main um, systems and they do have some alternative systems but uh, it's a pretty serious emergency what i'm getting down to here and uh, so they did all their checklists and i guess the uh, there was some kind of a part in the uh, when you lose a hydraulic system usually there's some way of powering the other hydraulic system once you've determined that there's not a leak in the hydraulic system somewhere uh, where you can um, you know power with the existing hydraulic system you can repower some of the components on the other and apparently uh, what do we call that a, a pto a power takeoff unit or something like that pressure takeoff unit transfer unit help me out PTO, what does that stand Acronyms for? Acronyms are dangerous. Press, uh, pressure transfer. Okay, well, anyway, look it up. <laughs> Google it. Uh, <laughs> PTO. Um, uh, there are various names for these devices. And uh, apparently there was a part in one of these, or this device on this airplane that um, was bad. And it overheated. And that's why the other system ended up. Uh, Power takeoff unit. That's it. Thank you. Whoever gave us that information. I Googled it. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Steph. You're welcome. Um, that's, by the way, on uh, the, it was at the uh, 320 series of Airbus, uh, 319, 320, maybe the 321. I'm not sure. It's a power uh, transfer unit. Yeah. They get a, um, you the sometimes hear that barking sound. dog sound. And that's that. Mar-mar. That's Mar-mar. what it is. It's the power takeoff unit, I think. Or the pa- power, power transfer unit? Ta- pa- no, now tra- I have doubts transfer. about what Airbus calls it. Uh, Nick, they help. probably call it something different. Nick, we, we don't have we don't have it because we have more hydraulic systems. You can shake a stick at. Ah, uh, okay. So the so the baby buses, the uh, narrow body buses. Uh, well, I'm assuming it. that they have they, they have something different. We yeah. we don't have power this. transfer it's, unit is what you're referring to. Yes, yeah, it is the PTU. PTU power transfer unit. Okay. Well, anyway, that uh, and actually on my what flight was it my flight from 
Zurich to back to Heathrow this past weekend. Spent a lot of time listening to the power transfer unit on that particular A320. And the lady next to me had no idea what it was. So there's a little bit of time explaining it to her. Poor dogs. (laughs) I know. What's going on? They must be hurting or something. They're not dogs. Huh? They do sound like dogs, though. But uh, any any single system that can bring down two hydraulic systems that are supposed to be independent does worry me a little bit. Yeah. I think it was one of those things where they thought that there's no way that that could ever happen. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. I mean, it's just that the whole point of having independent hydraulic systems is yeah. that they don't bring each other down. Right. So. Well, I mean, they, they, they still remain independent, though. It's, it, it's not like there's any fluid transfer between the two. Um, it's just that one is powering. Well, it's hard to explain on a three hour show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got another two hours. (laughs) Give it a go. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to explain it. I probably can't explain that. (laughs) That's actually the real reason. (laughs) I decided that I'm just not going to, I'm just, I'm going to move on. That's enough. enough. I don't know why I picked that to be in the news. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it. There is a there's a wonderful Wikipedia article about it that you can can read if you so choose. Yes, was that sure. something no, I, I had in the what show notes? And your backups, the seven five has. But uh, if I lost uh, two hydraulic systems on my aircraft, I'd be uh, it would no longer be a pan pan call. It would be a mayday call. I'd be mm-hmm. getting very concerned. Here's what happened. Actually, the uh, the PTU, the power transfer unit pressure switch was stuck in the open position and the associated pump running continuously without hydraulic fluid in the left hydraulic system. And so then they obviously overheated with no hydraulic liquid. And uh, yeah, and then the, I guess the system just to protect itself, shut itself down. Yeah, not a good, not a good thing. Yeah, but on our aircraft, Jeff, not too big of a deal. No. No, because that's one of the advantages of flying a dinosaur as, as we do. Right. Dana. Exactly. Correct. Because, um, there's, you know, hydraulic fluid or hydraulic systems, they're nice to have, but they're not critical like so many of the other jets out there. Yep. I mean, we can still fly the aircraft. We can still stop the aircraft. We can still land, land the aircraft. We can still control the aircraft. Yep. So not a bad deal for our that's airplane. True. Too bad. It's going away. Yep. Too bad. And I'll be uh, on it until they kick me off, which I appears now will be in just a couple of years. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Either way. Is that, is that your power transfer unit clanking? <laughs> that's Jeff? Dana's power that's Dana's, transfer yes. unit. Oh, Dana's. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's actually why I'm being so quiet today, because I really just don't want to get involved with all this background noise. And it's kind of distracting. So I, I hate to apologize to everybody, but I am kind of quiet. No problems. Okay. Item D, mom thanks airline and crew. Uh, Let's see. I'll just start reading this. A Texas mother is thanking a flight crew and passengers for helping to save her 11-month-old daughter when she experienced a mid-flight seizure last week. In an Instagram post, mom Janae Flowers said her daughter, Nevea? N-E-V-A-E-H? This is heaven. It's a a name that is heaven spelled backwards. (gasps) Okay, so how would you Nevea. pronounce that? I think typically it's Nevaeh. Nevaeh? It's very common here in the South, but I think oh. Nevaeh. Never heard of it. At least I've, I've seen it a couple times in North Carolina. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. Um, anyway, she suddenly experienced a febrile seizure. Is that the way you pronounce febrile. that? Febrile. Febrile. Related to fever. Okay. Coming uh, in children. During their American Airlines flight from Tampa to Dallas on April 25th. I think, Steph, since this is kind of medically oriented, you should take over at this point. I, can, I would be delighted to. Okay. Uh in an Instagram post, mom Janae Flowers said her daughter Nevaeh suddenly experienced a febrile seizure during their American Airlines flight from Tampa to Dallas on April 25th. A febrile seizure is typically triggered by fever and causes a child to lose consciousness while their arms and legs shake uncontrollably, according to the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. With nearly 10 minutes left until the plane was to touch down in Dallas, American Airlines crew and passengers rushed to mitigate Nevaeh's temperature as she struggled to breathe. I was traveling alone with Nevea and did not have a clue what to do but to cry out for help, Flowers wrote in her Instagram post. Two people immediately came to aid my baby and found that she was burning up. They took her onesie off and she was running a serious fever. Her toes were blue and she could barely breathe. They called out for any doctors on the plane and about three to four additional people came running to help also. The group of strangers worked together, gathering life-saving equipment and making calls to ensure emergency personnel were ready to jump in as soon as the plane arrived at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. All of these people worked diligently to cool my baby down while she was having a seizure. One man went to the front of the plane to ensure that EMS was at the gate as soon as we landed. Flowers said in her post, another man got an oxygen tank and administered it. Another man was taking her pulse. As soon as our plane landed, we all rushed to the front of the plane while they grabbed all of my belongings. As one man carried Nevaeh, another man thumped her foot repeatedly to make her cry while the men carried her off, carried the baby off of the plane and into the hands of the EMS crew. Flowers sang a calming tune to her baby. I sang, you are my sunshine and prayed like I have never prayed before. It seemed to last forever. Uh, baby Nevea was taken to the emergency room at Baylor Medical Center where she eventually recovered. She's doing well now, but on that flight, the scariest moment of my life unfolded before my eyes. Uh, flowers recalled on Instagram. My family and I are beyond grateful for all of the care and treatment given to our baby. I am so thankful to God that he put the right people in the right place at the right time. Uh, God kept us and worked through those angels who cared for Nevea. In a statement, American Airlines thanked its team members and passengers for coming to the infant's aid. We are grateful that Nevaeh is doing better and wish her and her family the best, the company spokesperson said in a statement to people. Uh, this medical emergency last week highlights the tremendous care and professionalism of American's team members, and specifically in this situation, our flight attendants and DFW team. They added, uh, we are proud of our colleagues and grateful to them and our customers who stepped up to help a family in need for their quick actions. Uh, Flowers released a Another video on Tuesday saying uh, Nevaeh is a happy baby and doing well, and the family was able to reconnect with one of the uh, nurses on board who stepped in to help during the flight. They are planning to reunite at her first birthday. So. Which, since she was 11 months old, is happening pretty quickly. Very soon. Yes, yeah. indeed. So, good good news story there. Um, yeah. They did yeah. All, all the right things. Brilliant job from the crew on board. and. Mm -hmm. As always, uh, I'm sure they were very thankful to have the help from the uh, medically trained volunteers. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of that is uh, just, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I have to go back and look at what they keep on board, but uh, most medical emergencies on flights are assumed to be in adults. Um, so trying to get the appropriate medications for children and infants, those are all weight-based doses usually. Um, which I am not qualified to talk about as a non-pediatrician, but I imagine that might be difficult. But they did, certainly did the right thing in trying to bring the the fever down as quick as possible to help control that seizure, which was brought on by the fever. 
You know, interestingly, we talked about Nevaeh being heaven spelled backwards. Uh, One of our uh, APG community members, um, Micah, his middle name is also one of those special kind of names that is spelled backwards. His middle name is Elosa. Very interesting. Hmm. That's (laughs) E-L-O-H-S-S-A. His, did he actually say his middle name was that? No. Or he said other people just, should be I, named that? I just applied it to Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Micah. Just kidding. Uh, nobody would ever name you that, I'm sure. No, no. Not ever. <laughs> I just thought it was pretty funny. He said that a lot of people, he knows a lot of people that should be named. Hello. Yes. <laughs> I think we all do, Micah. <laughs> Oh, all right. Um, moving on. Uh, e. Qantas has trialed. Oops, before I do that. We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. Qantas going, going green. green. Yeah. Ah, um, so good to hear that song. It it's is. It's been a while. Bum, 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 bum. We're going green. Qantas has trialed the world's first flight ever to produce no landfill waste as the airline embarks on a mission to cut out the use of 100 million plastic items from its planes by next year. Andrew David, CEO of Qantas's domestic arm, said the flight from Sydney to Adelaide on Wednesday represented a significant day for aviation. The airline currently produces the equivalent of 80 fully laden Boeing 747 jumbos. Enter joke here, Nick. Uh, per year in waste across its Qantas and Jetstar operations. Our cabin crews see this waste every day and they want it eliminated. And increasingly, our shareholders are demanding we do more to address our environmental footprint, Mr. David said. The move comes as Qantas produces the equivalent of, oh, we just talked about that. Um, why do they keep repeating these things? I don't understand people that write these articles. They 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 stay, say the same thing. I think like they two assume or, that people have very poor attention spans or short term memories. So if they say it a bunch of times in a row in slightly different language or phrasing, that perhaps their message will stick. It, I guess you're right. Just like on those commercials where they they repeat the telephone number like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Although okay. I can never remember who the commercial is actually for, so no. they failed. That's true. Okay. Anyway, um, what have they done? They, um, uh, the customers, yes. They've replaced all the plastic with stuff that's really clever. Like what? I mean, how do you, how do you make cutlery out of crop starch? I haven't, I don't know what crop You haven't used is. any of those? Um, yeah, it, I have. It feels no. like plastic, but it's kind of like a, uh, like a sandpapery plastic, I guess. It's, it's really kind of a dull plastic. Right. It's not a shiny thing. It's yeah. kind of a, yeah, like a dull I guess that they all uh, are designed to uh, biodegrade nice and quickly. Paper mm-hmm. cups. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, Packaging uh, made from sugar cane. It's supposed to work really well as well. Correct. Um, the cost of switching to biodegradable materials won't be passed on to customers, the CEO explained. Uh, we are prepared to make this investment, and over the long term, it will reduce our costs. Hang on a minute. Yeah. How can you possibly increase your overheads and not pass it on to the customers? Well, just look the other way. 
<laughs> Can someone give me a quick lesson on on financing it's a company economics, here? Uh, <laughs> it's a higher level economics course. One I did not take. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, in school. Yeah. Okay. Business economics. Yeah. Exactly. All right. But it's it's a really nice effort, don't you think? I think it's really good. That's somewhere. I don't know if it's in this article or not. They said that they did have a program at some point where they were using plastic, but they were actually uh, washing them uh, to reuse. Uh, but that then they stopped that. Uh, well, we yeah. used to. Uh, what about well, regular we silverware? Use, yeah, we use metal um, cutlery at the front end, mm-hmm. and all that gets uh, that washed and used again, except, of course, for the pepper and salt, which is always stolen. Uh, on account of the fact that those are the ones that say it was uh, pinched by or pinched yep. from on if the bottom look, of the feet. If you look under the, f- yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And especially when they do a special edition one, because I'm trying to remember when they put the. Didn't they have one. a red one recently? Yeah, they had, recently yeah. had a bright red one and they also had a dark black one because normally they're chrome. Huh. But they, uh, oh, actually, I think uh, the chrome ones are in upper, the black ones might be. Uh, in premium or something, but uh, it, it's great. And actually, uh, in the headquarters, uh, they have two huge ones, which are you know the size of a car each, which are hilarious. <laughs> see one of those, and they're little pigs, little... right? Is that right? Like flying pigs? Or, well, or they're they're just little little dumpy uh, aeroplanes. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought they, they had like a little have... face on them, though. If... No. no. Oh, okay, no, never mind. I think you're letting your imagination run away with you. <laughs> well, stuff. you know. great, great design idea, though. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. I was looking for those. They, they can they can contact me if they like the idea. I'd be happy to license <laughs> yeah. it to them. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was looking so for the ones that right Nick got me. I thought they were in this top drawer here. So they're just more like little squished airplanes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Little, just little dumpy airplanes. Yeah. Very cute. Anywho. Uh, so there you have it, uh, our feel-good, uh, going green story of the week uh, from Qantas. So that's good, a good thing, cutting down on the use of plastic. Okay, uh, and then finally, oh, this this happened, I believe, yesterday. Um, and Friday. Friday, okay. Oh, well, that wasn't yesterday at all. It happened several days ago. Um, it seemed like just yesterday. It just seems like yesterday, doesn't it? All right. Uh, a fuel truck d- driver has been charged with dangerous driving after the vehicle hit a plane at Toronto's Pearson Airport. Uh, we have some audio uh, of um, something that occurred be- right before the incident. There was a um, uh, somebody uh, calling himself a tractor, so I'm assuming that that's like a tug, uh, maybe towing an airplane onto the apron. And so he's contacting ap- apron control and uh, seems to be an issue with a fuel truck that is blocking uh, the gate at, uh, to which or by which he has to uh, transit. And uh, then we'll hear the rest. Hey, Brian, tractor 308. Yeah, I'm not able to establish the gate. I have a Menzies fuel truck, uh, permit number 7542, uh, blocking my way. He's moving out of the way. He did, okay. Uh, thanks a lot. 
Okay. So that's resolved. The uh, fuel truck driver um, was on the other side of the truck and saw that he was blocking the way of this tractor. Um, and uh, so problem is resolved, right? Sorry, Brian. Good evening. Good morning. Jet 615 for Alpha Kilo. Uh, lane 6, actually, I'll get 105. Is that what you have? That's correct. 105. Okay, lane 6 to the gate. Thank you. Lane 6 to the gate, Jazz uh, 615. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Montreal April, Jazz uh, 615. Sure, Jazz 615. Yeah, we are uh, Bagim, uh, gate 139. Please send emergency equipment. Okay, I'll uh, get on the line. What is the problem? Uh, we just had uh, got hit by a truck. Okay, uh, stand by. Just 615, any information? Are you evacuating or anything? Uh, the truck is still there? Any damage? Or... Just 615, are you there? Just 615, there? Just 615? No, they weren't there. They evacuated. Um, five people were taken to a hospital with minor injuries after the fuel truck collided with an Air Canada um, Jazz plane on the tarmac at around 1.36 a.m. Friday morning. The aircraft was taxiing to its gate, and uh, so the truck driver is going to be char or is charged with one count of dangerous driving. The aircraft came to a full stop, and the crew deplaned passengers quickly, and they were escorted into the terminal building. Excuse me. All injured have now been released from the hospital. It was a Dash 8 Dash 300 with 50 passengers and three crew members aboard. The flight was en route to Sudbury. Is that the way you pronounce it? Sudbury? S-U-D-B-U-R-Y. When it was forced to turn back due to fog, Toronto Pearson International Airport confirmed the incident in a tweet. At 1.36 a.m., the Air Canada Jazz aircraft came into contact with a Menzies fuel truck while taxiing on the apron. Uh, airport emergency services responded. Passengers and crew evacuated safely to Terminal 1. The aircraft and vehicle were removed and no operational impact at the airport. Uh, the extent of damage to the aircraft was not immediately clear. However, we do have some photos here. Uh, one at the scene where you can see the aftermath of the collision. And also uh, the bottom photograph of the Jazz uh, Dash 8 in the hangar. And it looks like considerable damage to me on the left side of the fuselage, just forward of the uh, cab, forward cabin door, and also just below the uh, captain's position in the cockpit. And also aft, like the and aft. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to work out more than uh, once. Yeah, how he managed to hit the front, and then looks like he might have even he, like, clipped, reversed. clipped a prop, and yeah. then smacked into the back as well. Um, and what's more, that dent by the captain's seat it's pretty deep yeah i'm yeah. amazed the yeah, captain that was, got away without being injured i think they're surmising uh, i was reading some comments regarding this that and some gentleman um i think described pretty closely what most likely happened here that the initial impact was that one up there um at the front of the airplane and so the airplane was originally going in the opposite direction that you see it in that second photograph i see and then it okay. spun the airplane around and in do in so doing uh hit the prop on the yep. on the left side you can see and then it in. basically the 
the tail of the airplane just got gets swung right into the back of the uh, uh, of the fuel truck. So the fuel truck hits the front, you know, and then the aircraft spins and wow. hits the back. It must be nice. It was uh, it was pretty rainy an and uh, yeah, yeah. it's rainy. It's dark. Yeah, uh, and those those white airplanes are really hard to see at night, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. especially when they're much larger than the truck you're driving. Yeah, and this yeah. and it was interesting. Or, I thought that the truck was also you know causing issues before the Jazz Dash Eight came onto the apron. You know, mm-hmm. so who knows what was going on with his driver? Yeah, yeah well, not that's a good situation. Damn expensive day, I'm afraid. Yeah, and those poor passengers they. They left and the crew, yeah, it's Toronto. like they left, yeah. and then they go and they try to make it to wherever the uh, the Sudbury or whatever, and then they couldn't make it in because of the fog, so they had to return, and then just to kind of put some icing, icing on the, on the cake. cake, yes, yeah. uh, we get hit by a Menzies fuel truck, it, and you know it's, I don't know if it's a miracle, but it's it sure is nice that uh, the fuel wasn't ignited. That would have been a bad ending. Oh, hell's bells! Yes, that would have been awful. So hopefully we'll, again, learn a little bit more information from this incident as the investigators move forward with their investigation. All right. That's all I have in the news folder. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) All right. Let's move on then to your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Let's start off with this piece of feedback from our good friend, Radio Roger. Delta Airlines is cutting back on how far seats will recline on certain domestic flights. The top of coach seats to go back only two inches instead of the traditional four. The airline says it's a way of protecting the space of the person behind you and not a way of squeezing in more people. In fact, for now, they're promising not to cut leg room at all. This is all according to thepointsguy.com, which says Delta will convert its Airbus A320s, which should take two months. Radio Roger, APG News. I love it. Our real radio. It's, it's so good. <laughs> announcer. It's so, good. It's so cool. Bringing a, a smidgen of professionalism to yeah. our little show here. What little we have. Thank you, Roger, it comes for from that. Radio Roger. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, this story has been out for uh, a few weeks. Um, sorry we didn't get to it uh, sooner, Roger. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, thepointsguy.com uh, had a little blurb about the fact that uh, Delta Airlines is um, basically cutting uh, by like maybe one and a half, two inches of the amount that the seat back reclines. And, and I think it's mainly because of the fact that many people i don't know about you all but i hardly ever recline my seat when i'm flying no i'm not a as soon as we take off okay but do you but i I have to put it back up yeah but i i don't i guess i never feel like i need to but um it's kind of weird when the person in front of me especially if you're setting an economy when you don't the seat pitch is kind of tight and they they uh recline the, to the full extent and you have a like a laptop let's say uh in, in on your tray table it does kind of make things interesting now some people would say well jeff you shouldn't have your laptop that's just too big you should be using your ipad or whatever but 
you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm editing audio and I have to use my MacBook because that's the, you know, the, my software is on my MacBook. But, uh, uh, I guess, you know, I don't mind if somebody kind of just very gradually reclines the seat back, but like in, in intervals, yeah, so you barely like, noticed. Like, like okay, here, you know, not it's just coming, like coming back. Instead of the ones where you just all of a sudden out of the blue, wham! <laughs> like that's why I get it out of the way early on the flight, so that way it gives the person behind me time to there you go adjust yeah. before they even have a chance to pull their laptop out of their bag before we hit ten thousand feet. See back. I wonder if all oh, the maximum time to be annoyed. Uh, I, I have to say personally, I would. Uh, I would almost prefer the seats to be fixed pitch, all of them, or, you know, fixed mm-hmm. angle, and adopt a, a sort of semi-reclined position uh, because with a bad back, sitting bolt upright is, is very painful and it's the seats are rarely configured for someone uh, who's a tall person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and what's the point of two inches? Uh, said the actress to the bishop. Um, so you know, if you if you're only going to give them a two inch recline, don't bother. Just fix the seats in a semi recline position, so it's sort of midway, and then everyone will be happy. Although in this sort of. in this case, though, it's almost like they're they're trying to, to to get the best of both worlds. Like, hey, the people that really love reclining, oh, I feel the seat back is actually moving, so I feel like I'm reclining, but it's kind of sparing the person behind them. Uh, the full extent of what it used to recline. I don't if know. If you really want the seat to recline as much as it possibly can, save your pennies, get a business class, first class seat. Yeah, this all yeah. is kind of foreign to uh, you, isn't it, Steph? Um, yeah, whole... doesn't the seat always recline all the way back, like to lay, <laughs> to flat? lay flat? I'm not sure what you yeah. mean by two inches. This is confusing <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm also a little uh, surprised that they don't go for the... Um, the, the system that allows you to move your seat pan forwards, um, yeah. which means that the guy behind doesn't lose any space at all. You lose a bit of leg room if you want to recline mm-hmm. because uh, that then deters people from reclining, um, which I think is a cleverer system. I think some of the newer seats are like that, right? That uh, they... They actually shift the I don't seat know. forward. I haven't a seen any like that yet. Oh. Okay, I haven't been in economy no. for years. <laughs> Nick doesn't know either. Well, I I get a better seat up the front usually. I used to. I'm going to do plenty in economy from now on, though. So I guess I better get used to it. Well, when I'm a passenger on an airplane, either deadheading or non-revving, I'm 99 percent of the time I'm in the very back. So I I've experienced this. So I feel your pain, people. For me, I will say it kind of depends on where I land next to the window because I almost always try and get a, a window seat. Um, I try to get the seat back aligned so that I'm just right behind the window. So there's a place for me to rest my head against the actual wall and not the window itself. Mm-hmm. So the adjustable seat back is helpful for that. If I don't, if I would lean back and be into the window, then I don't lean it back. So Okay. And some people do like the straight upright too. For some people's bad backs, that actually feels better. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself that um, the rare times that my back is sore for whatever reason, I seem to upright prefer the upright nicer, uh, position yeah. better. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. To each their own. Yep. So keep it adjustable and we can all pick what we want. Exactly. All right. Good people. Yeah. I think there are some airlines. I think Spirit is one, isn't it? That uh, they don't fixed, have recline. Yeah. yeah, I don't think all. Allegiant reclines either. Okay. 
Um, item number two from Adam, or some people pronounce it Adam. My commendations to Captain Nick for attempting to do my previous feedback justice. My reference to pairwise separation actually refers to the practice of moving away from wake turbulence categories to a scheme where each individual aircraft pair has a separate separation requirement. In the current category-based system, there is often an additional buffer with the separation because that separation, for example, between all heavy and light bearings is based on the separation needed between the heaviest heavy and the lightest light. However, with pairwise separation, behind an A340, one might end up with 2.8 nautical miles for an A320, 2.9 nautical miles for an A319, and 2.7 for an A321, etc. See you at Duxford and Oshkosh soon. So, obviously, he sent this in before your great meetup at Duxford. This is our good friend. Uh, it's all Adam. apples and pears to me. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, he didn't mean? talk about apple-wise separation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm drinking a, a India-pressed apple cider. Oh, you're really getting into the oh, uh, ciders go, now. now. The, if, yeah, if I kind of have pear, them. If you got a pear one, that would be perfect for Adam. I've had pear ciders. Those are they're, they're they're really good, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. So we 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 are now he's made it clear. So it depends on the preceding aircraft and the following aircraft as to what uh, separation you go. And he's he explained this to me. Uh, but I don't remember him calling it pairwise separation, but that that was a new term. Mm-hmm. But he did specify that one of the reasons uh, they want us to always give our aircraft type and even our variant. Uh, is because that goes into the computer and it can tell exactly how much separation you need for your aircraft. So saying an A340 is no longer good enough. You need to say an A330, 300 or 600 or et cetera, et cetera. So um, they can really calculate this uh, well and increase the uh, rate of flow. So clever system. Talked about it before, but Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't realize that was the term. I I had not realized it either. It, it makes good sense, though. It does. If you're trying to be as efficient yeah. as possible. But it, it's, it's classic that air traffic should choose a term that no one understands. So. <laughs> well, we don't want to. They don't want to make it so that everybody don't give understands. Don't away all their secrets. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> hey, uh, all Keep their C-tots and T-tots and pairwise and scale-wise. Yeah, You noticed the title I used for the last I did, I did. That was uh, that was um, Steph's. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Adam. As always, you're uh, such a great part of our community. Um, Blaster Bill writes, "Hello, Captain Jeff and Nick and Dana and Doctor Steph. Greetings from the left coast, where it is actually raining and 65 degrees, which is kind of unusual for Southern California this time of year." I wanted to compliment Captain Nick on Plain Tales Tenerife, which I enjoyed listening to. I was 12 years old when this happened, and it made a huge impression on me. One thing I took away from this accident, which all of you alluded to, which I believe is critical for safe flight operations, clear, concise, standard ICAO phraseology during radio transmissions. I have flown to many countries overseas during my 25-year aviation career, and ICAO standard phraseology works everywhere. But in the U.S., 
this concept has lost its importance. Judging by all the shorthand radio slang you hear during radio transmissions at major international airports or up at altitude. The U.S. slang doesn't work in Mexico or Canada, and it certainly doesn't work in Europe, Asia, or Africa. Why use it here? If all countries are intent on training their pilots to only use standard ICAO phraseology, I believe we would operate in a safer, more efficient environment. Why do we see in structures on ATIS that state aircraft read back all runway hold short instructions or always use call sign when communicating with tower? Because many pilots in our country don't use standard phraseology. Always repeat the clearance you receive from ATC and always include your full call sign. Simple. Safe flight operations are dependent on it. Cheers. From Blaster Bill, Los Angeles, California. And for some reason here, he wanted to state something about beer. He said, P.S. Water plus barley plus hops plus yeast equal beer. I guess that's the Yay. ancient uh, German Reinheitsgebot, right? Uh, law for what a beer is actually. Water, mm. Just only water, barley, hops, and yeast. But there are countries around the world that throw some other stuff in there too. And I'd still call it beer, but I guess it's the, the strictest definition of what beer is. Maybe he's saying that's the uh, standard of beer. Like yeah. we have standard phraseology. The beer standard. Oh, maybe that's what he was trying to do there. I, don't I have know. no idea. Well, I'll have to ask him next time. I'm probably we'll reading way too much into that. Probably so. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering where the the grapefruit goes in. Uh, right after hops. <laughs> oh, hops, grapefruit. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. And it makes a delicious yeah, beer. Apparently. <laughs> uh, not something I'd choose. Uh, well, I, of course, agree, but I, I can understand why um, it's often different in the U.S. because... I mean, it's such a damn big country, and so many uh, pilots uh, fly their entire careers, it, uh, you know, private and professional, and never leave uh, the United States. So, you know, for them, they, they would be going, why do we need to bother worrying what the rest of the world does? Because, because the they rest don't... of the world comes here. Right, and they don't seem to care. Yeah. And because we, there's no reason for preventing us from doing that that's not i don't think that's a valid excuse for no. not using standard phraseology i think it's um i don't even think it's laziness i was going to say it's laziness but i don't think it is i think it's what you said nick it's that you know when you kind of exist in a bubble and everyone else exists in that bubble um you know that's how you get differences in ways of doing things different customs different dialects different languages and then it just kind of snowballs from there but at the end of the day uh, for folks who are doing this professionally, it's just that it's a profession and there should be standards that go along with it in terms of training and actual execution of the job. Yeah. I mean, if, if English is your second language and you're learning to become a pilot, you will learn the set phrases by rote and you will learn them by heart so that you're incredibly proficient in them. And when people stray outside those set phrases, you'll probably struggle a little bit. And and I do feel a bit sorry for those who have worked so hard to learn aviation English when they move to a country where that phraseology isn't common. And amongst pilots, American pilots, I can understand to a point, amongst American air traffic controllers, that's where I find it difficult to um, forgive yes. because uh, they're the people who directly communicate with a foreign pilot and they're the ones that need to have 
an understanding of what should be said so that they can comprehend exactly what's going on. True. However, if you're contributing to an overall picture of situational awareness, perhaps you should keep it to standard phraseology. Oh, so oh granted, uh, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm not oh, no, denying no, no, I'm, that at all. Yeah. But what I, I mean, we go to a country like France where they're quite likely to speak in French to a lot of the aircraft around you. That's even worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least uh, most uh, um transmissions in the states you'll get the gist of what's going on but uh uh, much better that than use a completely foreign language yeah i I wonder too about efficiency of communication though if you're sticking to standard phraseology then you're not adding in extraneous information or stuff that's tying up or preventing someone else from saying what they need to say well i think i think a lot of it's complacency yeah we just Mm -hmm. we become very lazy and and uh don't communicate properly and use standard phraseology. We don't think about trying to uh, communicate efficiently and clearly because it's just so easy not to. <laughs> we, you know, at uh, our company, and this may be before you got on with us, Dana, um, there, I remember a, a memo from operations that uh, was reminding everybody that, you know, you need to be uh, succinct and use proper and standard phraseology when you're when you're uh, communicating with air traffic control. For instance, instead of you know when they say clear for takeoff, you hear people all the time say clear to go, or you know whatever some something other than clear for takeoff. And so see ya isn't uh, yeah that's another that one. Here. Yeah, see ya. You know I think some Daniel I think you'd agree with me. Some people think that just sounds cool to say stuff like that. Oh, you know, it's it's really cool. Yeah, good day. I, I'm impressed. Good day. <laughs> yeah, really. I just I, I agree with Nick on a lot of things, and in, in this, I mean, disagree with Nick on a lot of things, but I absolutely agree with Nick on this. I, I think that we've we've gone so far away, and and I can see where foreign carriers would certainly have a problem. I know myself personally when I go to uh, to a foreign country, the limited experience that I have had, uh, for example, going to someplace like Mexico. Uh, it is very difficult for me to understand them because number one, I'm not in tune to listening to the the accent and the lack of English comprehension. But the bigger thing is, I'm just so used to hearing the slang, the 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 the, the, the not formal uh, IKO standard procedures. So there's where in in our and in, in I know RH and in AG would would chime in on this that you know that. There's got, there are standards, and there's, of course, the, the pilot controller uh, glossary that we're supposed to abide by and use those standard phrases, but we, we don't necessarily do that all the time. I mean, how many times you hear on the radio, uh, and we're supposed to say ACME flight number, and you just hear the flight number. Yeah. Right? And that, uh, you know, most of the time, that's not going to be a problem, but guess what? You, you and I, we all know that oftentimes, or not oftentimes, but on occasion— you'll be out there and there will be a different airline with the same exact number. And that could be a safety uh, issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, I just have, I always draw these parallels in my mind between what we talk about here about aviation related stuff and the stuff I do in my day to day job. Um, uh, it's not infrequent that we have to use um, interpreters with some of our non English speaking patients and, I feel fortunate that I had uh, some training in how to use interpreters appropriately. And I feel like that would be helpful for a lot of folks, especially even in this type of situation, because it really teaches you how to use 
you're not trying to use dumbed down language, but you're trying to use uh, simple language that's easy to communicate your idea. You want to, you know, not ramble on uh, because you want to give the interpreter time to repeat what you've said. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with radio communication. You, you know, you want to make your point quickly, so succinctly, give them time to to counter that, make sure it's understood, and move on. Um, yeah, I can see it so many times when there's folks who have not had interpreter training, and it almost makes me cringe because they're doing things like, oh, uh, tell him that I would like him to, and they're talking like in the third person to the patient. It's like, no, don't, don't do that. Um, but then it kind of goes on and on and on. And it's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta stop and pause and give the other person a chance to, to say what they need to say. Um, maybe that's not a good corollary here, but no, I kind of see parallels is. a little bit. Oh no, it, it's perfect. It sounds just like JFK uh, track on oh. there to just never stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that Kennedy has got to be the worst example of air traffic controllers. Just, I mean, sometimes even people that were born and raised and lived their entire lives in the U S go, what, what did he uh, just say? Uh, and then I, I cringe when literally when I, hear them giving instructions to people from a, another land. And I'm thinking, they, they can, you know, come on, just use standard phraseology. They'll understand what, you know, you keep having to say this over and over and over again. And you're every time you do it, you're making them sound more stupid and making yourself sound more stupid. Exactly. Uh, you know, in, it's truth to be told. I mean, I'm, I'm a hardy Northeasterner, as we all know. So I understand the lingo and I understand the speed of, of, of conversation. And when I go up there and I have problems in understanding them sometimes, yeah. now you know we have issues. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Serious issues. <laughs> Seriously, because I, I speak the lingo. I, I understand most of the, you know, the accent. It's crazy. Another thing that's frustrating to me, and I've heard this both in uh, radio uh, transmissions for aviation, um, where you have two folks who are speaking in English, but perhaps one of them, English is not their first language, and I see it all the time um, in my line of work where someone does not speak English and you're trying to communicate uh, even a simple idea, where the person on the receiving end of the conversation is clearly not understanding what the instructions are, and the person who's giving the instructions continues to repeat it in the exact same manner. I'm like, if someone's, if someone's not getting it, you need to reconsider how you phrased it and try different words, because it means they perhaps don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. No, Steph, you anyway. just have to say it a lot louder. Then yeah, I know. Understand. That's, you know, <laughs> translation by volume. Yeah. Hey, good news. Guess what? 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 I can actually hear myself think now. Oh, they stopped. They've stopped. Oh, good. Thank. Uh, now I need some uh, Excedrin. Well, you know what? You'll Here, have time have... to go get it. Because okay, Advil. Guess what? Th thanks again, uh, Blasterville, for uh, stimulating that great uh, discussion regarding hey, uh, standard physiology. I like what Lane, Lane said here. Imagine the poor Mexican control is trying to figure out the Boston accent. Oh, yeah. No no hope there. No That's hope. complete lost cause, Lane. Sorry. That's why they're not allowed to fly in there. That um, is why they banned me from Mexico, Lane. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, uh, let's go ahead and play this week's installment of The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The old pilot's plain tales, bed knobs and broomsticks. 
whilst doing my research, I often come across an aircraft that looks so weird it makes me stop and furrow my brow in confusion while I wonder what on earth was in the mind of the creator. Many were made as stepping stones to test and discover how to reach a goal such as the Lunar Landing Research Vehicle. This unlikely-looking spidery creation was built by Bell Aerosystems to work out how to control the lunar lander that would ultimately take the Apollo astronauts on a well-controlled and successful landing on the moon. The final phase of every lunar landing was a manually controlled descent and to gain the handling experience necessary to perform this tricky piece of flying, the mission commanders started off with helicopter training. Apollo astronaut Kurt Mitchell said that for conventional aircraft, the helicopter was the closest in flying characteristics to the lunar lander. So if you didn't get helicopter training, you weren't going. The training vehicle was a mess of aluminium trusses which surrounded a General Electric CF-700 turbofan jet engine that was mounted vertically, pointing downwards, and free to gimbal so that it could remain pointing straight downwards. The purpose of the engine was to get the unlikely-looking craft airborne to the test altitude and then be throttled back to support about 83% of the machine's weight. By doing this, it would allow the training vehicle to descend at a gentle rate which represented the lower level of gravity found on the moon. Once on this downward path, more Buck Rogers-like control systems then controlled the lunar lander trainer in a similar way to the real spacecraft. It had two hydrogen peroxide-powered lift rockets with variable thrust to control the rate of descent, and the extremities of this four-legged metal spider were adorned with 16 smaller hydrogen peroxide thrusters to allow the pilot to pitch, yaw, and roll the machine. I often wonder if, with NASA's need for vast amounts of this volatile chemical, there was any shortage of blondes in the United States during this period. Hair products aside, the lunar landing test vehicles went through several iterations. The first two were built for research and a result of a $3.6 million contract. And after a number of test flights, the craft were fitted out with styrofoam representations of the actual lunar vehicle's cockpit and the lunar module's three-axis hand controller and throttle. As I've intimated, it was a strange-looking craft with few redeeming features, but then, with an endurance of 10 minutes and a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour, it was never really intended as a mode of transport. Around the turbofan engine was a four-legged open metal framework which contained an odd collection of round pressure vessels, pipes and wires which fed the thrust rockets and reaction controls. Perched on what could loosely be described as the front was an ejector seat, open to the elements but in a three-sided box containing some simple controls and a few instruments tacked on. Despite the odd appearance, the LLRVs were very advanced, using digital fly-by-wire technology. 
They relied exclusively on an interface with three analog computers to convert the pilot's movements to digital signals, which were then transmitted by wire to execute his commands. As an aside, the ejector seat was an interesting project all of its own. Although several years before Martin Baker had successfully built a 00 ejector seat, one capable of saving the pilot from a stationary aircraft at ground level, NASA chose Weber Aircraft to design and build them a seat for this remarkable flying machine. NASA and Weber had collaborated before when they built ejector seats for the Gemini space project, so perhaps it wasn't surprising. As an aside to this aside, the Gemini seat was itself very interesting. Despite the weight restrictions that the designers had to deal with, they included an ejector seat for two specific instances. The seat was designed to be used on the launch pad when it would fire the occupant on his back sideways through a hatch that was forced open by pistons and out of the capsule. It could also be used in the event of a parachute failure following re-entry. Back to the previous aside. The 00-seat Weber aircraft designed worked very well and was used safely on three occasions. By the time the first test vehicle was ready to train astronauts, it had completed 198 flights without a major incident, so it was shipped to Houston and made available for Neil Armstrong to begin flying. He made his first flight at the end of March, but a little more than a month later, on his 22nd flight, he lost control when the multi-million dollar craft lost helium pressure, causing a depletion of the hydrogen peroxide used to power the attitude thrusters. Gyrating around at a mere 200 feet above the ground, he was forced to eject, and with a second or two he was carrying out a short parachute descent into the scrub. Dragged by his parachute for a way, his only injury were some scratches to his handsome, steely-eyed rocketman test pilot face. Of interest, the accident investigation was carried out by the Aircraft Operations Office Chief, Joseph Algaranti, an experienced LLRV pilot. Having carried out the investigation... He then subsequently lost control during a flight to expand the vehicle's speed envelope. After struggling to fly, he ejected only half a second before the vehicle hit the ground, an amazingly close call. Not exactly blessed with smooth aerodynamics, it appeared that the cockpit enclosure had caused a yaw that exceeded the power of the thrusters to control. This was simply cured by taking the roof off. There were two distinct modes of flight for the research vehicle, the LLRV, and the training vehicle, the LLTV. The basic mode was with the engine fixed, so that it always pointed downwards in relation to the body. In the gimbaled lunar sim mode, the engine was allowed to swivel, and was kept orientated towards the Earth. This allowed the vehicle to tilt at the far greater angles that would be typical of hovering and manoeuvring above the lunar surface. Despite its ungainly appearance, the LLRV was equipped with an astonishingly sophisticated array of early sensors, including Doppler radar and computational hardware. 
The system had no specific name, but the effect it produced was called Lunar Sim Mode. This was the highest degree of hardware simulation and the purpose of the whole project. It wasn't a system to unburden the pilot, such as an autopilot does, nor was it meant to introduce any sort of safety or economy. The system's sole intention was to project the illusion of piloting the actual lunar module. You could think of it as a mixture of stability augmentation and an alteration of vertical acceleration according to the lunar gravity constant, all accompanied by instantaneous corrective action. The LLRV's lunar sim mode was even able to counter wind gusts within milliseconds to give the impression of flying in a vacuum. The visually significant sign of an engaged lunar sim mode was the free gimbal turbofan, always strictly pointing downwards towards the ground, regardless of the LLRV's current attitude. This unique aircraft represented one of the few hardware simulators that actually became airborne. Bell built two research vehicles and three training vehicles, and they became an essential part of the astronauts' training. Astronaut Bill Anders described the LLTV as a much unsung hero of the Apollo program. Although Armstrong and Allegranti had to eject from the LLRV, no astronaut ever had to eject from the LLTV, and every lunar module pilot through to the final Apollo 17 mission trained in the LLTV and flew to a landing on the moon successfully. Armstrong himself said that Eagle, the first lunar module to land on the moon, flew very much like the LLTV which he had flown more than 30 times at Ellington Air Force Base near the Space Center. He made over 50 landings in the trainer and the final trajectory that he flew to the actual landing was very much like those he had flown in practice. He remarked that the trainer, by then nicknamed the Flying Bedstead, gave him a good deal of confidence, a comfortable familiarity. Now, NASA's Flying Bedstead wasn't the first ungainly test vehicle to gain that particular nickname. Over a decade before, a similar but slightly less sophisticated piece of flying scrap iron was built by Rolls-Royce. The company was experimenting with the concept of vertical takeoff and jet-borne flight, and under the guidance of Dr. Alan Griffith, they designed an unlikely aircraft which was excitingly called the Test Measuring Rig, or TMR for short. No wonder someone had to come up with a more memorable name, the Flying Bedstead. The name became so well established that it can be found on the official Government Ministry of Aviation Aeronautical Research Council reports. Whereas Bell Aerosystems built something resembling a scaffolding cube, the Rolls-Royce bedstead was elongated, more like a jet-powered shopping trolley. They both sat on spindly legs with castering wheels, but in the centre of the TMR was a solid mass of two Rolls-Royce Neen turbojets. The engines were mounted fore and aft, uh, as much as a front and back could be determined, facing each other, 
with their intakes outboard and all the thrust aimed into the centre of the machine. One might imagine that that would be a problem, except that the jetty flux was redirected to point downwards, one into a single nozzle and the other engine into a pair either side. The pilot perched, looking fairly precarious, on a platform affixed to the top. The ungainly machine flew from Hucknall Aerodrome in Nottinghamshire, but for a year its flying forays were constrained by a vast gantry which tethered the monster at various points to prevent it from moving out of a defined area or tipping over. An overhead cable could also cushion a heavy landing by restraining it during descent. However, within the limits of the rig it was free to fly. The test pilots regularly climbed up onto the back of the beast in the hope of taming it, and on the 3rd of August 1954, Rolls-Royce chief test pilot Ron Shepard drew the short straw and became the first to conduct a free flight. Without any stability augmentation and controlled by firing compressed air out of the outrigger arms, he proved that it was possible to control the machine whilst it balanced on its jet engines. However, flying the TMR was far from easy. It had marginal excess power and the Neen engines had very slow response to throttle changes which required a considerable degree of anticipation when controlling the height of the machine. Following the successful free flight test, the bedstead was moved to the Royal Aircraft Establishment Research Facility at Bedford. The Ministry of Supply has now given permission to release the first films of the fabulous flying bedstead. Whisper of this extraordinary new flying machine reached us about five months ago. Designed for experiments in vertical takeoff, the bedstead has two jet engines mounted end to end. It was here that it was fitted with an auto-stabilization system developed by the Instrument and Air Photography Department to determine if an artificial control system would be necessary for hovering the aircraft and investigating the requirements for achieving stable flight. During the stability trials, a great deal of data was obtained from the test pilots who flew it in repeatable maneuvers representative of an aircraft transitioning into hovering flight. The main problem that the pilots reported was keeping the TMR at a stable height, which was mainly due to engine response time. It was established that any future VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing, aircraft would need an engine that responded quickly to the pilots' demands. Despite its rather crude beginnings, by the time the bedstead had been modified by the RAE, it was becoming quite sophisticated. Whilst the engine and yaw controls were manual, the pitch and roll controls were entirely electrically signalled with triple redundancy in case of a failure. However, despite the improvements, it remained an extremely tricky aircraft to fly. What's more, there was no provision made to abandon the machine, as it flew before the zero-zero ejector seat had been developed. A second flying bedstead had been built, XK426, and a number of pilots were being instructed in VTOL techniques. Amongst these was Wing Commander Henry Larson, 
a New Yorker of Danish origin who had become naturalised as a British subject. Apart from being a difficult aircraft to control, the bedstead only had six minutes of fuel. Larsen landed in a hurry and, despite being tethered to a crane, tipped the machine over against a gantry and was sadly crushed to death. The Rolls-Royce thrust measuring rig was a stepping stone in the development of the Hawker Harrier, by far the most successful vertical takeoff and landing fighter until the introduction of the F-35B Lightning II, which actually is only touted as a short takeoff and vertical landing machine. The Harrier served with many air forces, including those of India, Italy, Spain, as well as the United States Marine Corps. Whilst the Harrier was a remarkable aircraft, its achievements pale into insignificance when compared with the success of NASA's lunar landing module that took the first men to the moon. Both machines can still be viewed. The British Iron Bedstead, XJ314, at the Science Museum in London, and the American Luxury Mattress version at the United States Air Force Flight Test Museum at Edwards Air Force Base. I still find it amusing to think that both projects started off in a machine that could well have starred in a Walt Disney production, and I sometimes wonder if the test pilots had to speak the special spell. Haguna, Substitutionary locomotion before they flew. Ah, how clever. I love this music. Brings me back to my uh, watching TV, uh, black and white TV in the 60s. It's so so generic, isn't it? Uh, you could almost use it everywhere. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, that was a great uh, subject, the uh, flying bed. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, flying bedsteads. I don't think I went anywhere, did I? I mean, no. it was... It was uh, two situations where they built something out of scrap iron and made it fly, but actually for quite noble purposes. So the the end result was great. But when you look at those machines uh, and wonder what the hell they think they're doing with them, you do wonder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, great. I thought it was pretty uh, interesting that, um, uh, was it Neil Armstrong that said that uh, the actual lunar uh, module handled very similarly to the the test pad yeah. or the flying very clever stuff. concept yeah. actually creating a simulator that actually flies and then using a, a very well controlled uh, uh, descent engine uh, to make it uh, come down at the same rate it would uh, under the moon's gravity and then have uh, such a sophisticated uh, stabilization system that even a gust of wind wouldn't appear to affect it because, uh, you know, so it had to appear like it was flying in a vacuum. It's a very clever yeah. system that Berlin uh, developed for that. Especially, you know, for that time frame of technology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And But when you look at the actual machine itself, this spidery metal monster with the poor astronaut perched out in front in a styrofoam cockpit, <laughs> it looks really weird. <laughs> it must 
All right. Well, thanks again for uh, that wonderful plain tale, sir. No, I love it. Love it. All right. Thanks. And uh, I guess we'll continue to move on. We have about 40 minutes remaining, uh, according to our producer, Liz. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, Item four is from Jim. He says, forgive me if this question has already been asked, but I have a question about aviation and insurance. I'm not sure we'll be able to answer it, but we'll have a go at it. I'm in my mid-40s and have a 20-year career in the property and casualty insurance business. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your level of optimism, I learned that I loved aviation after I became fairly planted in the insurance industry. I have a family and a mortgage, so the risk of leaving my insurance career to pursue aviation doesn't look likely. Since I have a fairly extensive insurance background, do you mind sharing comments about aviation insurance for the legacy carriers and perhaps general aviation too? Are you aware of recruiters who specialize in aviation insurance? Um, And uh, let's see, that was a confidential note he added. I love the show and all you do to make every episode great. Making aviation podcasting great again, right? That's our slogan. No, that's not true. <laughs> I need to put my red hat on now then. We got a long way to go. Though. All those people are do uh, aviation podcasts are going, they're, they're choking right now. <laughs> what? <clears throat> anyway. I love it. Uh, so I do not know about, you know, how the legacy carriers go about um, getting insured. I'm sure there's probably entire departments devoted to that kind of thing wouldn't you think dana yeah i think i think so and i and i'm not 100 percent sure but isn't acme self-insured i could be i don't, I don't know um I, I know we are for medical yeah not sure like major hull loss and like a, like a catastrophic accident you know where you where several people are are uh lost i'm not sure um I'm not either yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that, Jim. Perhaps somebody listening w- would know the uh, answer. But as far as general aviation is concerned, again, I'm not um, very involved at all in GA at this point. Um, but uh, I know that Steph and Dana are. And what do you know about um, aviation insurance in, in that realm? Well, uh, Dr. Steph, you... Want to start off or you want me to? Sorry, I had to step away to talk to my neighbor and now it won't go back to my, uh, hold on, default. Everything seems, sounds normal to me. Oh, does it? Okay. Because it was coming through on my regular speakers there. I want to make sure it wasn't echoing. And I completely missed the question here. I'm sorry. It was was from Jim and he's a, uh, in the insurance. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll read it. I'm sorry, Jim. Give me two seconds. I'll I'll fill in while uh, Steph does her her catch up. Um, Because uh, one of our jobs uh, on our airline is to go into the aircraft documents on each flight and make sure we have a valid insurance certificate for the uh, aircraft. So we are insured by an outsider insurer, and uh, they obviously uh, cover the cost uh, of uh, any uh, indemnity, um, you know, for hull loss or, um, you know, if we Mm -hmm. uh, have any claims made against us. So, um, uh, and that, you're quite right, uh, Jeff, that would be, dealt with by an entire department because it's a damned expensive job insuring an airline mm-hmm. because even though we're extremely low risk 
the uh, cost of replacing an aircraft and the cost of uh, the court cases that might uh, come about following a, a serious accident uh, ju- are just huge, and they, they would sink uh, the average airline if you weren't insured and didn't have some way of recouping uh, those monies. So, yeah, for us, it's quite an important factor. So on the uh, GA side of things, um, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, certainly if it's your own aircraft, I'm sure you would have that uh, fairly well insured. Um I don't have my own aircraft, so I actually have something called, uh, just like uh, for people who don't uh, own their own homes, you can get renter's insurance. Um, The flight school I rent from actually requires it now. They did not previously. They just strongly suggested it. Um, I think that varies flight school to flight school, but it's relatively inexpensive, and it's um, probably a good idea because that would, um, you know, go towards the cost. If if there were an incident, um, um, you would not be... Uh, liable for that, the flight school would not have such a, a big financial outlay, potentially, even though I'm sure they're well insured themselves for those reasons. Um, but they do require a minimum, uh, let's see here, uh, $1 million combined single limit option with passenger bodily injury limited to $100,000 um, and a twenty minimum $2,500 deductible. So. Now, Jim, my comments on general aviation insurance um, is insurance companies make it very difficult for new pilots to uh, rent aircraft insurance regulations. For example, let's say uh, Dr. Steph, well, actually myself, I'll use myself as an example. When I was trying to build multi-engine Yeah, multi-engine's a big problem. So... I need to have 50 hours in multi-engine aircraft in order to be able to rent the aircraft. And How many hours did it take you to get your multi-engine certificate, though? Do you uh, remember? Because I know how long it took me. 10. Yeah, 15 is kind of the average. 10 to 15. So you have 15 hours of multi-engine time, but you need 50 to 75 before you can rent the aircraft and fly it solo. So... So you have some more dual time. You have a lot more dual time to, and that's why I've not done a lot of multi-engine flying because it's very expensive expensive if you're renting the aircraft and also someone to fly with you who. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. And and even to rent a general aviation aircraft, for example, um, you know, I, I flew a Piper warrior for me to go rent a, a Cessna 172. You had to have an insurance checkout, even though I'm a current, Mm -hmm single engine airplane pilot, I had to be checked out in that particular model of aircraft. Or if I wanted to do an RG, retractable gear, you had to to have 25 or 50 hours in the retractable gear aircraft. Again, it makes it so very difficult for anybody that wants to try to build time, like Dr. Steph, that wants to go out and rent airplanes. I mean, if you don't have serious time, well, what do you, what yeah, do you, I had to do five hours in the serious aircraft before yeah. I, before the flight school with an with a an instructor of from the flight school checking me out in it. And and I've looked into it here in the Atlanta area up at the McCollum. There's a uh, oh my god, scare the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just fall off the roof. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. It sounds like a dead body that fell. Oh my god, oh, there goes another one. Um, Bringing it back to those days in Boston. Oh, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> what was it? Oh, yeah. So I was looking at, a, uh, I, I know, an operator up there at McCollum, and I wanted to go get checked out in in the SR-22 way back when um, as an airline pilot. You know, I was flying the regionals. I just wanted to take my friends flying. Uh, 
uh, 10 hours. Hello? Uh, yeah. So 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, five know, to 10 it, hours is not uncommon for serious. I'm sorry. Bye-bye. That's okay. Okay. Uh, That's just fine. To take over for Dana. Um, <laughs> it's not uncommon because it is a, a fairly expensive aircraft and they want to make sure that they've uh, given proper training and check out. And, you know, it generally... Um, Higher horsepower, so high performance aircraft, things happen more quickly at higher airspeeds, and they want to make sure they've uh, uh, checked out those pilots appropriately and are comfortable with them flying. Yeah. So. Uh, Micah asks about uh, open airplane. He says, uh, doesn't open airplane take care of this mm. when you go to rent I don't know. I've never used open airplane, so I'm yeah. not sure exactly how it works. We might uh, get some feedback from folks who have used it. Yeah. And to answer Lane's question, I did have my complex prior to that, although strictly speaking, the Cirrus is not a complex uh, aircraft because it does not have retractable gear. No. Hey, uh, Jim. It I, is high performance, however. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, Jim, I think he's kind of thinking, okay, I'm already in the insurance business. I'll probably have mm -hmm. to stay in insurance related stuff, but I love aviation. So if I could combine the two. So if somebody out there is listening that has any ideas for Jim as far as, uh, you know, for him to kind of get into either legacy airline kind of uh, insurance work or and or general aviation, uh, any recruiters who might specialize in that kind of thing, uh, contact me and then I'll send the information to Jim or get the two of you together. And Jim, I forget exactly um who the who underwrites the insurance that I have, but I usually purchase it through AOPA or through their um, affiliation. I would imagine so. it's probably a pretty small little world. Mm, Maybe not. But I, they have a lot of customers out there. Oh, so okay. There I think it could potentially be pretty big and lucrative business. Yeah. Okay, so. cool. Well, let's hope so. Uh, again, if you're listening and you have some information for Jim, send it to uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And then we'll uh, get you two connected or convey the information to Jim. All right. Uh, let's see. Item five. Mokulele. Mokulele. Hang on. There Mokulele. It's Mokulele. To add new routes and test electric hybrid airplane. This is from uh, Andrew. He said, this is in relation to when you recently talked about the Canadian float operator Harbor Air adding an electrically driven aircraft to their fleet. I just found this post about the island hopping airline in Hawaii, Mokulele, uh, is to do the same with a modified Cessna aircraft by the company Ampere. Oh, I get it. A-M-P, Amp, like Amperage. Uh, and the article is uh, included here starting the 17th of June, uh, Mokulele. Airlines will fly twice daily between Maui and Lanai uh, from $57 each way. That following the acquisition of Mokulele by Memphis-based Southern Airways Express a few years, uh, months ago. And the company is looking to expand the uh, brand here in Hawaii. Uh, but wait, that's not the part we want to read. It's about the electric stuff. Uh, okay, Mokulele plans to test a new hybrid aircraft model on their Kahului to... Hana Maui route starting this fall. Uh, that as a result of a partnership between Mokulele and Ampere, uh, an Ampere spokesman said. With a short flight, it shows off the technology and its benefits. Hawaii's focus on sustainability also makes it more aligned with our own vision. 
He added that potential fuel savings of 50 to 70% are possible with 25 to 50% maintenance cost reduction. The company's site says that Ampere is on a mission to provide the world with all electric-powered commercial flights that are affordable, quiet, and environmentally conscious. If things go well, such planes carrying up to nine passengers could serve longer routes, including between Honolulu and Maui. Yeah, very interesting. So Kahului to Hana is not a long distance as the crow flies. Mm -hmm. Um, Driving is very interesting. It takes you three hours um, because it's, I think Dana just recently did that trip, correct? Yeah, but I wasn't on the Big Island. That's that's where Kahului and Hana are. No, they're on oh, Maui. No, Kahului, they're Maui. Yeah. What am I thinking? The, yeah. the name Dana. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. uh, yeah. It's not a very long. I think it's a roughly forty-five, fifty miles. Yeah, but the reason it, it takes so long to drive six hundred and twenty bridges and turns and six hundred and twenty turns one way. What if you just yeah. drive like straight through through all the pineapple? Uh, Oh no, you're like on cliff edges and things like oh, that. Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sure it's a be- but I'm sure it's a beautiful flight, you know. Yeah. If you've already done the drive and you want to just fly between the two towns or you need to because you live in one or the other, that would be a great way to do it if they can do it with more fuel efficient uh hybrid aircraft. And more uh probably more feasible because of the short duration of the flight. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking weight. I mean, to carry that much weight with batteries. Mhm. Mm. That that's a that's a big, big I think, offset. I think that's why hybrid is probably going to be the answer um, instead of full not electric. just full electric. But I don't know. What do I know? Um, I know that the website says sixty percent more silent. How can be more silent? You're either silent or you're not. <laughs> but anyway, sixty percent more silent yeah. and smoother than fossil fuel. <laughs> Zero tailpipe emissions and super low greenhouse gas emissions, 90% cost reduction in fuel and 50% in maintenance. But uh, you're right, guys. It's only going to work on short hops for the moment until someone finds out a way to, you know, extend those bat- that battery life. Yep. Yeah, we have to wait for technology, I think, to catch up with you know, the battery science or battery science to catch up with everything else. Yeah. Or something like that. And if there's a representative from the Ampere website here, the uh, term you're looking for is quieter. Yes. More, what did they say? Or more quiet. 66% more silent. More silent. More silenter. More silentist. There's louder, louder, silent, silenter. <laughs> Silentist. <laughs> All right, moving on. Six, Sean. Speaking of silence. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Uh, Sean has an update for us. You know, we talked about uh, this article, why are Cathay pilots going blind mid-flight? He says, ignoring the low-hanging fruit jokes about choice of reading material in the cockpit. Why are Cathay pilots going blind mid-flight? And uh, Hong Kong's Air Accident Investigation Authority confirmed it is looking into a pair of disconcerting mid-air incidents involving Cathay Pacific captains. According to the agency, in both cases, the captains became unable to be performing flight duties after reporting vision impairment during the international flights. Each time, the co-pilots were forced to take command of the aircraft. Oh, my gosh. Terrifying. Terrible. Yeah. I think we kind of talked about that the last time. Uh, You know, I I think it could be. Sometimes, um, you know, people say, you're you're calling in sick for a trip, Jeff. Why is that? So it's a vision problem. I can't see myself going to work. 
It's called, <laughs> called anal glaucoma. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that's the case in this particular uh, circumstance here. Um, but um, somebody else did uh, chime in uh, with this. Duncan says the Cathay incapacity uh, article or incapacitation article was in the UK Daily Mail. Think National Enquirer, I guess, to help us Yanks out uh, regarding the source of this news. Anyway, he says, male journos have a special dictionary for aviation stories. Here's an excerpt. Loss of altitude equals plummet, plummeting, plummeted, ATC request. SOS, mayday, pan, pan, cry for help. Turbulence equals violent loss of control. Wind shear. See loss of altitude above. Yeah. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah, they, they, you know, there's this one factor here that, you know, age in medication, um, you know, allergy medication. I don't know. They're, 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 you know, I don't know if you watch CQ, but it's very interesting to, to, uh, listen to, to Dr. Tom talk about things that could be insidious that we don't even think about a supplement or mm -hmm. an allergy medication or not ground testing. But what we don't have the ability to do is, of course, with hypoxia. As we climb up in altitude, the aircraft cabin isn't necessarily at sea level. It's nowhere near sea level. It's, you know, usually between five to 8,000 feet, depending on what your true altitude is outside. So, you know, some of these medications may interact and could, you know, I'm just throwing this out mm -hmm. here. It's a possibility that yeah. both of these guys could have been taking something that adversely affected them once they got to altitude or they got hypoxic. Yeah, our, our uh, vision, our color vision is really affected quite significantly uh, when we are experiencing hypoxic uh, conditions mm -hmm. or hypoxia. So, no, I don't know the exact situation with Cathay, but I'm pretty certain that their pilots are required to get their medical clearances from the company doctors, not to use their own uh, um, private mm -hmm. uh, doctors. So uh, you'd think they, those guys would have known what's going on. You'd think so, yeah. You'd think so, but you know, supplementation things that in 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 take take uh, Chinese for example, they use a lot of different herbs and spices, and you know, uh, even elephant tusks. I mean, they drive a lot of the uh, a lot of the needs of some of these these items. That in some, I guess, a black market that that uh, we don't know what their effect effects are, and if they don't disclose them when they go in, and, and they're not being tested for them. You don't know what the individual is doing. I think it's Viagra. It could be. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's see. Item seven. Uh, Steve writes us. Steve Perry. Uh, Jeff et al. When in APG 371, Nick was commenting about airlines going bust and the impact of Brexit, he declared, quote, the industry is too valuable to suddenly stop flying to Europe for even a few days. Trust me on this. No one is stupid enough to let that happen. I appreciate the old curmudgeon's optimism and naivete, but for the sake of APG's accuracy rating, I need to point out that he's talking about politicians here. I'm convinced that the phrase, none of us is as dumb as all of us, is the unofficial motto of democracies everywhere, and Nick is relying on the multiple democracies to all be smart at, all at the same time. <laughs> and again... As you mentioned, Steve, not the lead singer of Journey from Tulsa. Dumber in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Dumber in numbers. 
Yeah, At least I that's guess. what we say about our dogs. He's got a point about politicians, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> anything, anything to rebut there, uh, Captain Nick? Or I guess you probably think, yeah, I guess he's well, got I a point. I don't think there's anything to rebut. I, I have yeah. happen to agree with him about his uh, politician's <laughs> comment. Yeah. But I stand by my statement. I think you're right as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. How are we doing with the time? Uh, 20 minutes. Close. 20. Okay, great. Um, looking through some of these items that are still here in our feedback folder, just to see if there's anything. I do want to do number 16 for sure, but I'm going to save that until a little bit longer into this. Um, uh, well, this is quick. Uh, Brian sent this in. Uh, he says, you got to love the runway to the sky. Um, it's a Catalina Island conservancy conservancy. Elected officials and military leaders will gather on May 3rd, or they did, apparently, to celebrate the reopening of the Airport in the Sky, which is on Catalina Island, a uh, one of the a group of uh, islands just off of the Southern California coastline. Beautiful islands, in fact. And uh, there's a picture here. Again, we'll include this in the show notes to see the runway 22 as it kind of crests upward and then... I guess there must be a cliff or something on the other end of it, uh, or the terrain goes back down, but it looks like the runway is just leading into the sky. It's very beautiful. Oh, well, that was interesting. Um, Bless you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> Let me uh, turn Was that off. the Viagra kicking <laughs> no, I guess so. <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, I guess this runway really was exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anyway, this is Brian Coleman. Also, we, we know him as uh, Pasadena Brian. Um, so he asks, have you ever flown out to Catalina? The runway sure does have an interesting hump. <laughs> well, Brian, I've had some interesting humps in my life, but uh, I've not experienced this one. <laughs> this isn't is getting any better. Oh, my God. <laughs> to go to the Viagra, of course. <laughs> Who started this? I didn't. Oh, you I did. think I did. You did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Okay. Hey, Brian, I don't even know what California is. So I couldn't yeah, Dan, even. Dan's map of the United States ends at about Ohio. Denver. 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 About yeah. as far as west as you want to go, probably. Um, anyway, it looks like they uh, rebuilt, uh, refurbished the uh, runway um, uh, or repaired by uh, doing a training exercise of the Marines and the Navy sailors, the Seabees. Um, to prepare them for missions on islands and other remote destinations. So that's kind of cool. And uh, they said nearly 200 Marines and Seabees were deployed to Catalina Island over a three-month period to replace the main runway's asphalt with concrete for training. And uh, again, we'll put a link to the article here in the show notes. Also, the interesting, uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. The first plane that will land at the newly named ACE Clearwater Airfield was built in 1944 as a World War II surplus C-47 military transport. It was then converted to a DC-3 after the war. And apparently, supposedly, the uh, first airplane in after they opened up the airport was this airplane, which is uh, appropriate. Okay. Um, Oh, I had a conversation uh, or a question about... ADSB, uh, I thought that I had read somewhere, and I apparently I must be wrong, uh, that uh, it was possible for 
with the more advanced implementation of ADS-B out that certain items in your airplane kit, that information or data could be sent out over ADS-B and read by air traffic controllers and that kind of thing. I think the art, the, the example that I gave was like, you know, they tell you to fly a certain heading or fly a certain airspeed and they can actually tell what airspeed you're, you're telling your auto flight system to fly, you know? So I thought, well, that's kind of invasive, but, um, uh, Keith, uh, on our, uh, Kansas city layover, I, I have had so many <laughs> meetups lately that I'm getting them all confused. Uh, Kansas city. Yes. Uh, at the, um, uh, uh, Q39 uh, barbecue. Um, we had this discussion and he said he was going to find an answer for me. And he did. And he sent us some audio feedback. Hello, Captains Jeff, Nick, Dana, and Dr. Steph. Keith Wayne here. I'm a new private pilot since December of 2018. And found your show to kind of fill those hours when I couldn't fly in bad weather and uh, really enjoying it. Um, I was able to attend the Kansas City meetup and meet Captain Jeff in person and some of the APG community and had a good time. Uh, one of the things that we ended up talking about was um, someone had told Captain Jeff that ATC can see the exact heading that's in the autopilot box because of ADSB, And I thought that was unlikely, but definitely possible. So I volunteered to do a little research to find out for sure. So here's what I found. Uh, what I started looking at the actual ADSB units that go in the aircraft, and the only input sources I could find that plug into them are transponder and GPS. Uh, couldn't find anything else that plugs directly in there. So the transponder is going to send pressure altitude, squat code, ident status source, and the GPS is going to send latitude and longitude, GPS, altitude. Uh, there's also some other data that's embedded in the GPS receiver, such as a call sign, a category, and uh, possibly some other things that are kind of trivial. Um, so that's really all it's sending, that there's no heading or direct connection to the autopilot. Um, however, I went a little bit further and found a detailed specification of the ground-based transceiver that receives ADSB from aircraft and relays it to ATC. And that was pretty interesting. There's actually in the version two of ADSB specification a heading track filled. But that filled is only used when the target is known to be on the ground. Um, so definitely not in flight. However, um, the ADSB transmissions are sent once per second. So Really, it would be fairly trivial for the software in a ATC station to kind of do the math on it, and with one per second updates of a GPS source, know exactly what your current heading is. So it's definitely not sent directly from your autopilot, but that's not to say the ATC couldn't see exactly what your track is. Um, I was not able to see any ATC systems to confirm if that's on current ATC screens or not, and it honestly could vary, I suppose, depending on how old their equipment is. Um, so unfortunately, I couldn't find anything more definitive than that, but that was pretty interesting, so thought I'd share. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Uh, thanks, Keith, for... I can tell you about 
uh, ATC mode S, uh-huh. uh, if that helps, because we're currently uh, transmitting a lot of our um, selected information down okay. to air traffic. So oh. when we select, for example, a new uh, altitude on uh, our flight control unit that we use to control the autopilot, that uh, can is transmitted down by our transponder to air traffic control. Oh. And quite honestly, ADSB and transponders uh, and uh, collision avoidance systems are almost they're melding into like one massive system. Uh, but at the moment, this is a mode S currently a you know a tag on, and you have to have uh, capability both in the air and on the ground. But uh, London can certainly see this, so they can see your selected altitude. Uh, entered on the FMS, uh, so they they know what you've dialed in when they give you a uh, a new altitude to fly to to see whether you've selected the correct one. Uh, they can see roll angle, true track angle, track angle rate. Um, they can see ground speed, magnetic heading, indicated airspeed, and Mach number, uh, vertical rates uh, of climb and descent, uh, and uh, a TCAS downlink is also given when you get a resolution advisory and RA. Um, and there, there's a lot more that is available, but that's currently all they bother looking at because, um, you know, the, the, there's huge amounts of data that can be sent. Uh, but, of course, you could max the system out if you just try to send everything. So that's right. what they've chosen to send at the moment. But you can be sure that in the future, if you climb into an electric airplane, uh, and well, by that I mean not electrically powered, mm-hmm. you know, but just a modern uh, machine. You that whatever you do is the air traffic is going to be able to confirm that you've done the right thing. So rather than having to read back things, I suspect in the future merely selecting them correctly will substitute for mm-hmm. a, a readback. And it'll be a safety enhancement to make sure that even though you read back this number, we can see that you actually put in the correct number in the. Hey. Exactly in the right. FCU. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe that's what I was getting confused about. Maybe I was just assuming that this is something to do with ADSB because it's more modern technology than the mode S transponder. Uh, but apparently I, I was, I was confused, but well, thank you, Nick. I should have just asked you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> so thank you, Keith, for attempting to answer my rather dumb question, apparently. Oh, well. And, uh, Finally, we're going to end the show with some audio feedback from Vernon. And this is in honor of Captain Nick's retirement. So he sent us this. Last summer, while my wife and I were in England, Captain Nick was gracious enough to pick us up and take us to a train station. And on the way, we stopped at a pub to have fish and chips. And we shared a local beer named after Gustav, a homing pigeon. That led to Captain Nick's plain tales about homing pigeons. And then later on, during episode APG 345, he had a story, The Wave Scrapers, about the Civil Air Patrol, in which he mentioned Gil Rob Wilson, the founder of the Civil Air Patrol. I left some feedback after that, about Gil Rob Wilson, since I knew him in my youth. And Gil Rob Wilson wrote The Airman's World, which was copyrighted in 1957. So in honor of Captain Nick's retirement, 
I would like to read something out of Gilrobs Wilson's publication. It's called One of the Trusted. And remember, this was 1957, so some of the wording may be different than we're used to today. But here's one of the trusted in honor of Captain Nick and his retirement. You are at cruising altitude. The western sun is pink on the disk. Your eyes flicks the gauges. The engines are contented. Another day, another dollar. You look down at your hands on the wheel. They are veined and hard and brown. Tonight you notice that they look a little old. And by George, they are old. But how can this be? Only yesterday you were in flying school. Time is a thief. You have been robbed. And what do you have to show for it? A pilot. 20 years a pilot. A senior pilot. And what of it? Just a pilot. Then the voice of the stewardess breaks in on your reverie. The trip is running full. 84 passengers. Can she begin to serve them dinner to the passengers? The passengers, oh yes, the passengers. You notice the line of them coming aboard. The businessmen, the young mothers with children in tow, the old couple, the two priests, the four dog faces. A thousand times you have watched them file aboard and a thousand times disembark. They always seem a little gayer after the landing than before the takeoff. Beyond doubt, they are always somewhat apprehensive aloft. But why do they continuously come up here in the dark sky despite their apprehension? You have often wondered about that. You look down at your hands again, and suddenly it comes to you. They come because they trust you, you the pilot. They turn over their lives and their loved ones and their hopes and their dreams to you for safekeeping. To be a pilot means to be one of the trusted. They pray in the storm that you are skilled and strong and wise. To be a pilot is to hold life in your hands, to be worthy of faith. No, you have not been robbed. You aren't just a pilot. There's no such thing as just a pilot. Your job is a trust. The years have been a trust. You have been one of the trusted. And who could be more? Congratulations on your retirement, my friend, Captain Nick. And we trust you will continue your plane tales with the APG crew. Signing off, this is Vernon Tryon, retired CFI, former air traffic controller from Fort Morgan, Colorado. You can count on it, Vernon. He ain't going anywhere. <laughs> we won't let him. Nope. You can't retire from here. Yeah, we have too much uh, dirt mm-hmm. that we'll <laughs> release. What a lovely, lovely piece of work, isn't it? Isn't that great and beautifully read, Vernon? Thank you very much. With such emotion and... Uh, yeah, I'm feeling uh, quite emotional here myself now. Uh-oh. Well, we certainly didn't mean to do that. Or maybe no, he did. Good, good job, Vernon. Yeah, that's, thank that's you, That's a job well done there. Very, very Person. much so. Okay, well, with that, um, again, lots of uh, stuff that we weren't able to get to today. 
as far as feedback is concerned. So, uh, but don't let that stop you from sending it in. Um, again, you can do that by sending your feedback to feedback at airlinepilotguide.com, uh, or you can use uh, SpeakPipe. Go to our website, and you'll see how you can do that. Uh, we have uh, apps for iOS and Android devices on the appropriate app stores, and uh, there you can use the app to also send us feedback and do a lot more. Uh, we are also on social media. The social meds. You can find us on Twitter at APG Crew. If you prefer the 280 character or less interaction uh, type deal, you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, a little bit more going on there in terms of length of posts. You can share articles. Uh, we have plenty of folks doing that there, discussing all things aviation. Uh, chat with us a little bit as well. Find out information about feedback and or uh, feedback meetups. Before Jeff heads over to Slack, I'm also going to put a quick plug in for the APG crew Instagram also, which I've been uploading a few things to here and there. Um, probably just going to use that a lot for meetup photos uh, for the time being and other interesting aviation related pictures. So that is APG crew, all one word on Instagram. All right. And hello. Hello. You're Oh, sorry. Uh, can you come over here and uh, do, do the Slack thing? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plane Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Did he wash his hands this time? I hope so. I think he was in a little bit of a rush. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Would you well, move away? Go go wash your hands, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that down yet. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, yeah. like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> That's just Jeff's generic voice for anyone who's not himself. <laughs> okay. With that... With that <laughs> Thank you for uh, sending in all the feedback and being uh, participants in our wonderful community uh, for uh, downloading and watching and listening and reviewing and all that. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Good day.